feet crashes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you're one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through. Maybe you're working out. Maybe you're on a run. Maybe you're cleaning the house or doing some chores. Whatever the case, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Simple Contacts and Audible. They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who, on this Mother's Day, is one bad mother himself, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Two two things to tease. One, I'm over halfway to my 5K goal, uh, raising money for St. Jude, so we're, we're, doing, we're on pace. That's the one where you strip naked and run through the sprinklers? Uh, I'll do that for 20 K. We'll okay. just keep upping it. Right. Um, but you can find links on my website, christianspicer.com. And it's also pinned on top of my Twitter at Spicer to Jeffrey Canada. Uh, the Western conference NBA finals are the Wockets versus the Warriors. Yeah, buddy. That's our teams. Um, That's our teams. I've got my Wockets hat on right now, and I think we have a, we're gonna have a friendly, a friendly wager. Yes, that's the, that's, we've, there's been much smack talking offline, not on the podcast, but we're bringing it onto the podcast in front of the public. Uh, my Warriors up against your Houston Rockets. Uh, this is, I feel like this is really the finals, but, uh, you know, because the West is the best. But what do you, you said you have an idea for what our wager, our little friendly wager should be. What is that? Yeah, I, I, you can pick the amount, and I think if uh, the Rockets win, you donate to St. Jude, mm-hmm. and if the Warriors win, I will donate to the charity of your choice. That sounds great. Should we, what should we do? Like a hundred bucks? Sure, that sounds great. Yeah, hundred bucks. And uh, <laughs> so basically, the position I'm in is that I'm rooting against the children from St. Jude. That's what you put me in, <laughs> and I'm rooting against the children or uh, you know whatever charity <laughs> you're supporting. Yeah, I got to come up with a with a good charity. My charity is probably going to be St. Jude, but we got to come <laughs> up with it. Maybe we'll also we'll also have to publicly state uh, that our team is is worse than our our opponent's team we'll buy each other uh the corresponding team's t-shirt you have to wear it love it love it all right well may the best team win the warriors um (laughs) this is not a sports podcast we're gonna talk video games we've got lots of fun stuff to talk about it's heating up for e3 which is exciting and we have an awesome guest this is somebody i've been wanting to have on the show for a while now you know that dlc always stands for your downloadable canada and your downloadable christian but this week Oh, I'm excited because DLC stands for Daily Lifting of Your Cabeza. Because from Heads Up Daily TV, as well as Xbox Canada's Xbox All for One and Northern Arena Esports, one of the most delightful people I know, Marissa Roberto is here. Hi, Marissa. (laughs) Oh, my God, Jeff. How could I even live up to that intro? Uh, First of all, love that you said Cabeza because I'm not Spanish, but... 
my fiance's family is Spanish and they call me cabezona because my head is so big <laughs> that they just like to make fun of how large it is. Um, <laughs> so it kind of ties in to all of this. But yes, uh, I do have a show called Heads Up Daily and, uh, which is HUD for short, which is also Heads Up Display. Nice. Um, did yeah. you have to, and they I, had I to hire you, be, they had to hire you because of your head, because of the size of your head. They were like, yeah, we, she's the one. She, we have to hire her. Yeah, no auditions. We just basically took um, measuring tape, and <laughs> I won. So, well, hey, congratulations! That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, well, we go way back. Uh, Marissa yes. and I were both on uh, EP Daily for years, and uh, you know, honestly, I love every time I run into you. I'm like, you're the be- one of the best people I know. I'm just so excited <laughs> oh to gosh, finally have you. Very sweet of you to say yes. Uh, you and I were co-hosts at one point, but you were far away. Yes. from me in Canada. That's um, right. You, I mean, you got to review movies with Mary, with Mary, which was so much fun. I loved you two as a team. Not mm, saying thanks. that you and Christian aren't the best, but uh, you guys were lovely to watch. And uh, no, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. Christian is no Mary. I agree with you. And, uh, we've established <laughs> that. Uh, Every day I try, though. I'm one step closer. Oh, Christian, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, no, it was good. It was a good time. It, it was, was a good show. I'm really sad that it's not on the air any- anymore here. I know. Me too. Me too. Good times though. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's jump into the show and start the way we okay. always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That is uh, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. There's cool folks hanging out in that Reddit with uh, lots of interesting things to say. I encourage you to stop by, check it out, talk about the show, talk about video games. Uh, Marissa, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be the story of the week? I mean, I feel like this is an obvious one, uh, <laughs> the, the Walmart. And I feel like because I'm in Canada, I have to apologize on behalf of Canada, especially Walmart Canada. You. It was all me. I was sitting in the meeting when we were all speculating. I just I, I just sit in their boardroom meetings. Um, and I decided, you know what? I, this is what I think is going to happen. And then they just started typing it up. And then I guess a glitch happened and it just went out there in the world. So I apologize <laughs> to everyone out there, especially for the, for the Forza Horizons, plural, Five. Right. Because, you know, I totally forgot that there was still a four yet to come. <laughs> That's JK, a lot of horizons <laughs> coming. <laughs> so many horizons. JK, I was not part of the meeting. I don't want anybody thinking that I actually was. Um, <laughs> I, I'm so sorry on behalf of Canada for causing this big kerfuffle, uh, for causing Bethesda to be upset and tweet about it. Um, and there's nothing more yeah. can- Canadian than actually apologizing. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it all works out. Yeah, Walmart Canada posted a, an update on their website that listed a bunch of pre-orders for some as yet unannounced games, uh, including some other games we know are coming, but some games that we didn't know were coming. And it may be a leak of things that we might expect at E3 in just a few weeks. Uh, Mm -hmm. Games including a new Splinter Cell game, uh, Just Cause 4, Lego DC Villains, Borderlands 3, Gears of War 5, a new Assassin's Creed title, and Rage 2 from Bethesda. Uh, there's also indications of the Final Fantasy VII remake, uh, Metroid Prime 4, Beyond Good and Evil 2, Insurgency Sandstorm, Division 2, and The Last of Us 2. So I would be shocked if all of these things are coming out this year. 
we're not really sure if this is a legit information or is, as Marissa was kind of indicating, if somebody just got a little over eager there at Walmart Canada and just started putting things up uh, based on speculation. We don't know if these are actual leaks or if this is just kind of weird. Well, uh, we know one of them is right. What's the? We know several of them are right, but what's the one? Oh, you mean Rage? I mean Rage, yeah. Well, Bethesda certainly seems to have been playful in their response to this, um, indicating yeah. that it might be accurate. See colon backslash videos backslash trailer Monday. Like, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Like, I feel like that's a pretty good confirmation. Well, what do you think of this, Marissa? As far as the the breadth of all these these games, are you? Do you think these are some interesting reveals? Do you think they're all accurate? As you said, there's a lot of weird sort of typos and strangeness, yeah. but. I don't know. I wasn't, when I saw all of them, I didn't, there was not one title where, like, for me personally, I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like, I don't, uh, I just feel like nothing really blew me away. So I, for that reason, I thought that a lot of it might have been speculative. Um, based off of, I don't know, whoever does the website stuff for Walmart, like, just gearing up for what might be. Yeah. Um, like, I don't, I don't know. first I thought maybe they're just trying to get some play. Like maybe Walmart Canada just wants some attention and like, we're going to do something funny, but um, (laughs) that doesn't sound like something Canadian. So uh, it just, it just didn't work. Um, But yeah, the whole rage two thing is exciting for, I guess people who played rage. I don't know a lot of people who played rage. Do you guys play rage? Yeah. Yeah. I played rage. I played all the way through rage. We reviewed it on the totally rad show back in 2011, I guess was when it came out. And uh, I actually really liked rage. I know it has a a, a sort of, um, bad reputation i think but i yeah. i went back and actually rewatched my review of it from that time i liked it then i remember liking it it has a really terrible ending a very abrupt mm-hmm. ending that is but uh, i i thought it was really fun i'm a little bummed that these leaks tend to always happen every year for e3 because i think rage 2 would be the kind of unexpected from left field thing that really makes E3 feel fun and special where it's like, Oh my, I didn't even imagine they would be making a sequel to that game and seeing Mm -hmm. it like in text, uh, you know, on a leaked website, it just is not as fun as sitting there and watching the stage presentation and them unveiling something unexpected. So I get, I get, you know, I get bummed about that kind of thing because I love the theatricality of E3. But, oh, that's the best part about it. The best yeah. part when we're sitting in those theaters and we're just, we don't know what's coming next and they blow us away. Like those are the moments that these people that, that spend so long putting these presentations together and they really want to make, yeah, exactly. Those, those are the big moments, right? Cause they make the highlight reels. They make like the reaction videos on YouTube. Like those are the things that they want. And now they've lost this. Like now Bethesda is, is lost this. So, yeah. um, I don't know if that's what they were planning from the beginning. Maybe now they have to release a trailer because this was already leaked. I, I don't know. Um, but I'm assuming that a lot of people, a lot of developers, a lot of publishers are, are really upset with Walmart Canada. Christian, do you think uh, all of these titles are accurate? Are there any that make you think that it is speculation? Or are there any that you get excited about? What's your take? Um, I, I could see some of them not necessarily panning out, but I, I feel like they are based on good information, if that makes sense, where it's, you know, you and I, we've all, all, all three of us have been doing this long enough to know that you can get credible information and have it not pan out. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean the information you were given was wrong or that there wasn't a product in development or something that was planned for E3 that got scrapped in that last month or, or 
a video Sony makes the day before showing how to share a game with a friend. Like there's a lot of planning and organization goes into it, but things can change at the last minute as well. Uh, I feel like this is probably pretty accurate. I think the problems with uh, Forza Horizons 5 and stuff like that is that it was placeholder. And so I could have seen the intern, or I'm not trying to belittle the person that did it, but whoever did it, doing it quicker than you otherwise would before the thing goes live. You're just typing in this database to get things in with placeholder images and to create essentially those web portals for these games so that you can then quick publish with just the correct information when you update it. Um, I think Rage 2 all but confirming its existence after this leak lends the biggest credibility to the list's credibility. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm very excited about Rage 2. I wasn't super high on the first game. I thought it was a beautiful tech demo. I thought it was a kind of an empty open world and the shooting was a little too corridory for my takes. But um, I love Doom 2016. Um, I really enjoyed the first new Wolfenstein and this last year's I really loved uh, the story, I thought the gameplay had some issues, but right now I'm all aboard the id Bethesda rebooting franchises. Cause remember when they re- were bringing back Doom, everybody was like, Doom? And same with Wolfenstein. Why Wolfenstein? The last one wasn't good. And now they're good. So even if you didn't think the last Rage was good, I will put $60 down on a pre-order that this one will be good. It's going to be good, right? I hope so. I, I would like that to be the case. Um, it'll be interesting to see how similar or different it is from from the first rage um a, a gears of war 5 seems like an interesting maybe we'll see a reveal i think very few of these will actually be this year games i, I think rage 2 feels like it, bethesda's you know it, it beyonce drop where it is actually coming this year and maybe splinter cell maybe just cause 4 but definitely there are games on here that are much farther out. i mean we know for a fact that beyond good and evil 2 is very far out so a lot of these uh, pre-order listings feel like just things that we know are things and don't necessarily indicate that they're coming anytime soon. So, uh, you know, this is, I think, take it with a grain of salt information, but all it does for me is just ruin a potentially really fun surprise. <laughs> it doesn't make me excited. But you weren't... Right, yeah, I hate that. Sorry, go ahead, Christian. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I understand both of you with like the theatricality of it and how it is cool and how we kind of live in a post-megaton world because of it. But I guess the other side of that coin that I try to look at is that we get to have this conversation now and we got to have that moment yeah. on Twitter when the leak when yeah. the leak came out. I think it was Wario 64 is where I first saw it. Um, and so it's kind of like finding out the sex of your kid. You can find out when it comes out or you can find out in advance and both are fun for different reasons. Yeah, and so I think I there's it. still excitement here. I feel most bad for the developers and people in the advertising agency and the PR people that had a plan for this. Mm-hmm. And now to have that all go, that just has to feel awful. And I, I empathize with them because that, that sucks. Yeah, there's one thing when it's a, a leak of a person who's like, hey, I want to make news by telling the news sites about this cool thing that I found out. And it's, it's kind of nefarious and underhanded. And this is literally just a goof. Just somebody was like, yeah. oops, oops, <laughs> it went live. You know, that's a <laughs> That's a very Canadian thing, though. You know, like it, 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 this is the case with many Canadian productions as well. Like things just uh, seem to go wrong at first or we make a mistake and we don't realize it or we have to apologize a lot. So, um, again, on behalf of Walmart Canada, I'd like to apologize to everyone out there. But you're right, Christian. Like we did have this awesome moment together on Twitter. Like everyone was talking about it. Um, we all had a good laugh about it. We got to make fun of Canadians for a second. So um, I think it was fun to kind of come together as a community 
community to laugh about it. Um, but yeah, I just think of those teams. Like I just think of that team at Bethesda being like, yo, WT, like WTF, why? Yeah. Um, you know, you work on something for multiple years and there's a big strategy yeah. and a plan. And then, and then somebody at, at Walmart's like, yeah, it's a bummer, Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I wonder if they get penalized somehow. No, because they're, selling their game. So why would they like, yeah. they don't get penalized the way that, or we don't get, they don't get stricken off of a list somewhere. Like if a journalist did that, right. we like broke an embargo or something. I'm certain that we'd be blacklisted for something at yeah. some point. Nobody's blacklisting Walmart. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Christian, what is your story of the week? Um, oh, I'm going to talk about one thing as a game I've been playing so I can save that. I don't need to talk about it now. Um, I want to talk about the Nintendo Switch Online. They have Nintendo outlined the features um, for their online service, which is set to debut in September. We've known that it's been it's set to be $20 a year, which is cheaper than um, Xbox Live and PlayStation Plus. And we know that it's required for online play, so I'll... <laughs> All of those games that we've been playing for free, um, I now have to pay $20 so that my kids can still play Splatoon 2. Feels good. <laughs> feels feels real good. Um, yeah, it's funny that this was like this much-anticipated announcement. It's like, I can't wait to see how much I'm going to be charged for the thing I'm already doing for free. It's so exciting. Let's tune yeah, in. Yeah, feels bad, man. Um, the, the bigger news out of this, and one I think requires a little clap-clap, and then one requires a big Dikembe Mutombo finger wag no-no, is uh clap clap 20 classic NES games that come with the service and they've announced um i think 10 of them and the big ones for me are legend of zelda and super mario brothers 3 which most of us have a million other places but those are really good NES games that i could have seen them holding out on (laughs) because nintendo um so i think that's really cool the thing that i will wag my finger at them about is they're adding cloud saves yay it's mm. behind a paywall. Boo. Like literally the only console now where you have to pay to have cloud saves and otherwise your saves are stuck on your system. People have lost them when their system has bricked and they've sent it in for service. And so when they announced cloud saves, I think the internet had a collective cheer. And then when they locked it behind this paywall, like Marissa, that's not that's not how you introduce an exciting feature like that, right? No, no, not at all. Honestly, like that is surprising to me. I thought when it was cloud saves too, like I'm that person that's like, okay, that's exciting. I can just save stuff up there. I didn't think I would also have to pay for it. That's not, I mean, there's, I feel like if we're all collectively crying about it, they won't make this a thing, right? Like how can they? How can Nintendo do this to us? They can't do us dirty. It's Nintendo. Why would they? <laughs> yeah, Nintendo. Okay? Yeah, you'd think, I mean, the good news is the, the the service is pretty low as far as you know compared to its competitors in in cost. It's only twenty dollars for a year compared to sixty from Nintendo, or excuse me, from uh, Microsoft and Sony, and uh, that's three ninety nine a month or seven ninety nine for three months, twenty dollars a year. Uh, and evidently, the uh, the chat room is saying that PlayStation Plus uh, is required for cloud saves technically on PlayStation as well, uh, even though you can sort of, you know, sidestep your way around that by downloading them to a USB stick. So it's yeah. not exactly this is unprecedented. Nintendo's doing it at a lower price point. Um, well, and I think that what I got wrong is Nintendo's is the only one who locks their saves behind a paywall. Like Sony, you can technically get your save off your console for free. You just can't use the cloud. And Nintendo, the only way to get your save off your console you know, to back it up somewhere, I guess, is via this cloud, and that is behind a paywall. Right. 
Uh, either way, it's interesting that Nintendo Switch Online is so late to the Switch coming out. Uh, it's interesting that it will be this hybrid system of uh, still requiring you to use a an, an app on your smart device in order to <laughs> in order to play online. It's not exactly uh, you know it's not priced comparable to its competitors, but it's also not exactly as feature rich as its competitors. So maybe, maybe we should try it though. Maybe that voice chat's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> I think it's cool that you're getting a, a lot of these uh, older games as well, and that they're adding online features to them. That's pretty neat. Uh, Marissa, what do you think? Are you um, are you gonna are you a Switch gamer? Are you gonna buy into the Nintendo Switch online service? I am a Switch gamer. I love my Nintendo Switch. Uh, no, I'm not gonna do any of this. I gotta tell you right now. <laughs> Uh, I don't even do it for my PlayStation or my Xbox. I don't, I feel like I don't need to. Like, I love that it's out there for gamers. If they want this, they can tap into it. But like, I've played those games. I'm, I'm good. I don't need to go back right now because I have so much to play currently on my plate that I haven't gotten to yet that with games that just came out. So, um, I mean, I, I love that these services exist, um, for people that need them. I, I mean, I hardly like even with the virtual console, like I did tap into my old school Mario's for sure, but it was just fleeting. Like those moments go, they come and go because it's nice to go back in time a little bit, but you also want to keep playing the best and the newest things. So, um, that's kind of where my head is at with this stuff. Um, I don't like, are you guys tapping into this stuff? Really? I don't necessarily. I, I'm sort of a newest, latest, best guy as well. I, I want to play the new stuff. And I guess that, that spirals nicely into uh, well, the other... Well, hold on. But part of this, well, they get me because of multiplayer. Like, that's why I'm right. paying for the service. You're like, playing the it for... It's a nice yeah. bonus. But my daughters like playing Splatoon 2. I like playing Mario Kart. I'm going to like playing Smash Online, Fortnite. So that's what gets me. It's like if it was just the game service, I'd probably question it a little bit more. But I feel like it's a nice bonus for the online multiplayer handcuffs they put on me. Well, I guess that's the same thing with Xbox Gold and, you know, PSN. Most right. people are buying it to be able to play online, and the extra stuff is nice bonus extra stuff. I don't, I'm not sure how many people – I mean, I'm sure there are some, but I would I would guess that it's skewed more that people want to play online with their friends, and then they also enjoy the free games rather than the people that are paying the fee just for the free games. Um, so maybe that's similar here, but – uh, as I was saying, it, it, it is, does spiral nicely into sort of what I was going to uh, use as my story of the week, which is sort of basically the same story, but I wanted to, to separate it out because I think it's two, two different points that Nintendo made in their announcement of Nintendo Switch Online and the idea that these older NES games were going to be part of the subscription service. They also made it clear in no uncertain terms that all of our dreams of a virtual console being on Switch are not going to happen. They said uh, Nintendo Switch will not have, there are currently no plans to bring classic games together under the virtual console banner as has been done on other Nintendo Switch systems. So no virtual console, which, uh, you know, every time we've talked about the NES Mini and the Super NES Mini, I keep saying, well, those are just sort of stop gaps until we have true virtual console on the Switch. Cross my fingers, cross my fingers. And it sounds like that's not happening. And it seems very clear in this announcement that the reason that's not happening is because they want to add value to this Nintendo Switch online service. And rather than selling games ad hoc to people uh, one time, they'd much rather keep you on that hook 
and uh, paying a monthly fee and uh, who knows what you get month to month with these games. The, I, the, the bummer part is that you don't actually get these games forever, ever. Stuff can get pulled off of the subscription service and put back on, and you, you don't know what games are coming on and coming off. They're not bringing over all the games that have already been ported to the virtual console. But the upside, as we've already mentioned, is that a lot of these games will have added features and online play and stuff. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, Marissa, it sounds like you've already made clear that you're not one to, to go back and, uh, play a lot of the old, old retro games. So is this? I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, say that because I've been playing a lot of Rollercoaster Tycoon lately. Like, it is absurd how much, <laughs> like, old school Atari Rollercoaster Tycoon on my phone, like, mobile styles. But, um, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I just, think of like I feel overwhelmed right now with the amount of games that I have not yet poured my heart into like guys mm. I haven't played I haven't played God of War yet I have gotta, not play played God of War yet. It's, not, it's not very good it's fine <laughs> it's, not, it's not that great of a game but like everybody's like well, are you serious are you serious I have not played it yet. like that that you know hurts me a little bit to say but I want to finish Far Cry like I, I feel like I have all these games on my plate I haven't finished Zelda yet like things that I'm playing on my Switch I haven't had a chance to play like I got stuck in Divine Beast and I just kind of haven't gone back to it which you know hurts a little bit to say um I haven't finished Super Mario Odyssey like there there are so many things that I need to devote my time to so I again I love that that this stuff is there and I know you're sad about the virtual console Jeff but honestly like do you need it seriously no I think I think you make an excellent point and I it is something that I am certainly guilty of and I think I would venture to say most people are guilty of. I don't want to, you can save your angry emails because I know there are many of you that do love going back and playing these games. And I don't want to take anything away. feedback at gmail.com. <laughs> that is the email. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to take anything away from that, but I would guess that the vast majority of people are like me and you like the idea of this more than the reality of it. Like I want it to be possible to theoretically play games on my Switch that are old. I want I want it to be there should I choose, but I almost never will choose. And that I think is a, a an issue that the that makes this argument a little weird. That so many people are like, "Oh, I want a virtual console," but then you look at the sales numbers and they're not crazy. You look at the amount of people that play backwards compatible stuff on Xbox, for example, and it's very small percentage of people that actually own the system. So I think this is a pretty safe bet for Nintendo. It it does add perceived value to their online system. It doesn't necessarily take things away from people. And like you say, Marissa, I'm, I'm one of those people that probably wouldn't have even bought. I didn't buy any on my Wii U. I didn't buy any virtual oh console God. games. This is exactly what I'm saying. Like yeah. you love the idea of it, but really do you like nobody really executes. Like you love yeah. I love I love that about Nintendo that they do this to us all the time. Like we we want it because we had it and we want yeah. to keep it forever. Like, um, but nobody ever goes back in these things. Like how many of you uh, are playing, you know, um, everything that just came out, like the little, the mini NES that came out, like everyone lost it over that. Like, are you actually playing that? Are you using it? I, I do want to know if people are actually using these things or it's just all about nostalgia all the time. I think it is. I think it skews very much toward nostalgia. I think you plug it in and you get that jolt of like, Oh, I remember this. I remember this, but you don't put, you know, 30 hours into Final Fantasy 3, I don't... I mean, maybe there there clearly are some people that do, but I I think it's the minority. And 
I would, I would say for me, speaking just for myself, I'm much more excited about a game that's new that recalls some of those mechanisms and some of that play style that I like, but it does it in a new way. You know, like Christian's all excited about Celeste and, and there are a lot of games like that, that kind of feel fresh and new and interesting, but are reminiscent of old games. And I think that's much more what I'm, what I enjoy rather than actually going back and playing old stuff that I played when I was a kid. So, so this would be uh, my counterpoint to that. And I think ultimately what people want is it, like the dream, right? The dream is to some extent, I know PC at some point, like old games aren't compatible on current systems, but it's our current builds. The idea is that you buy a game once and you have it on your device. And like, that's, I think the, the dream is that I bought a, a virtual console game on my Wii. It, I, I also then got it on my 3DS. I also then got it on my Wii U and now I have it on my Switch. And so I have this game that I can play on the Nintendo hardware in which I have. Um, I know that that is a far-fetched dream, but I think the other side of this potential counterpoint is while the three of us might not want to go back and play those old games, my daughter likes the Switch, is very competent gaming on it, and I would like to... I, I think if there was a world where I could put Link to the Past on it, she would play it on that and love it. it or, you know, Mario 3 or some of these old games that they're old to us, but we are old. <laughs> and for a, a, a lot of gamers, you know, the Switch is maybe their first console. It is a way for them to go and experience these games that are masterpieces and I think are stand up, uh, withhold this test of time. There's a saying there about time and testing. Withstand. And withstand the test of time. Thank you. And also, um, are important in terms of history, right? Like there's an academic pursuit and playing some of these games that I think young gamers getting into gaming and game design would find fascinating. And if they could easily jump on their switch and buy it for five or 10 bucks, I think they'd be more inclined to do that. And instead I would wager that most are running them uh, via an emulator on their PC. None of those people are want to do that. They're all playing Fortnite. They don't have time. That's so true. <laughs> they don't have time to go back and play Mario Brothers 3. <laughs> It's so true and so sad, but, um, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say nobody's playing old games. Like the whole, um, fighting game community, like Super Smash Brothers Melee community is so intense and they will not let this game die. Like they, they ride or die. They bring their old TVs and their game cubes to land parties. Like they, love this game so much. So, um, I mean, there are, of course, games like that that people hold on to and that keep playing. So maybe I can't say that all of these old games aren't worth playing because obviously Smash Brothers Melee had something there. Sure, and I think there's always going to be a very committed community to the, these classics. But I also think those... I don't know how many of those people came to those games late. I think those people still play those games because they love those games at the time. And I think I think it is nostalgia. I really do. I don't think it's the same as like re rediscovering an old movie, I think, but maybe I'm being cynical. I hope I'm not, but uh, either way, it's an interesting decision from Nintendo's point of view. I don't think it's as big a deal as I may have thought uh, uh, originally. Now that we have these games trickling out over the online service as well, um, there'll still be ways to play them, but it is interesting that they have decided to go a different direction than virtual console. I think we just have to follow the money. Like, where does Nintendo make their money? If they're not making any money off of that and they haven't for the last their last two consoles, then why would they do it now? Right. 
yeah, now it now it bolsters uh, I think a a real genuine revenue stream, which is this twenty dollars a year subscription service, which I think will probably end up being pretty successful for them. All right, uh, let's move on and talk about uh, some of the games we've been playing. But first, I have to talk about our sponsor, Simple Contacts. If you're like me and you wear glasses, uh, unfortunately, I am back to wearing glasses. I had LASIK and it wore off. <laughs> they don't tell you it can wear off. Oh, it can wear off, guys. Uh, mine wore off. And now I'm back to wearing uh, glasses and contacts. And the process of up, um, maintaining my prescription on my contacts, it's, it can be a pain. It can be a pain to, to schedule an appointment, to go in, get it all done, order contact, yada, yada, yada. The good news is there is a much simpler way to accomplish all of that. If you just need to renew your prescription, you can take a five-minute vision test from your phone or your computer. It's so simple. It's all done in an app. It's reviewed by a licensed doctor, and you receive a renewed one-year prescription, and you can reorder your contacts all through the Simple Contacts app. I've done this. I loved it. It made it so simple. The good news is it had all the brands of contacts that I was familiar with. It really does have all the top brands and you can choose which brand of contact you want. You're not locked into any specific brand because you use the app. Uh, the prices are really reasonable. Um, it's fast. Like I said, it takes five minutes to do this vision test. You literally just set up your phone and you stare at it and then it uses its camera to make sure you're looking at it. You're not gaming the system or doing anything wrong. And then a human being, a real licensed doctor takes a look at your results and updates your prescription and, and signs off on it. So it's not completely automated. It's not going to give you the wrong kind of thing. It's actually reviewed by a, a human being with credentials. It is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam, though. So you have to be sure that you do still get those because those are important. Uh, the, the app does not give you your health exam. But when you're just renewing your prescription or updating your prescription, Man, it's great. It's super fast. It's super reliable. You get the choice of all the contacts you could want. You have support. They have customer support that ensures every customer is 100% satisfied. I went back and forth with customer support a, a couple of times because um, I, I tried to cheat the app uh, a couple of times because I had just gotten a, a prescription. And I was like, I don't need this thing to tell me. And it, it knows. It knew. And they were like, hey, we, we want to make sure you're not doing this wrong. Can we make sure you're – and then I just took a picture of my prescription. They're like, oh, okay, that's cool. A doctor has looked, signed off on it. So it's really, really great. Plus, it's way less expensive than going in and getting an eye exam. You're talking about over $200 most of the time to go in and get a just a, a renewal on your eye prescription. This is 20 bucks. 20 bucks. And the contact lens prices are unbeatable. Standard shipping is free. And best of all, we are going to give you 30 bucks off your contacts when you order them by going to simplecontacts.com slash DLC. So you should, reminder, this is not a replacement for your periodic eye health, uh, full eye health exam, but you get $30 off your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash DLC, or you can enter promo code DLC at checkout at simplecontacts.com slash DLC, or enter code DLC at checkout for $30 off. All right, so we uh, we talked a little bit about some of the stuff that you're playing, Marissa, but I want to del delve deep into uh, some of these things. I want to start at a weird place. We'll get to some of the more high-profile games, but you mentioned Roller Coaster Tycoon, and you said you're <laughs> spending an inordinate amount of time on this. 
is this oh, is this a God. game you loved in its original form? And you are is it a nostalgia play for you? Or uh, tell me exactly what's happening here. Oh yeah, big time. This was one of the first games that I ever really played as an addiction. Like I, I had my dad had an NES. Like I played a lot of like Bubble Bobble. I played a lot of the Super Mario Bros. And like you know, I had Genesis, all that stuff. Um, yeah, Streets of Rage, baby. But uh, <laughs> I, this is the first game that I would like sneak downstairs into the computer room and play until three or four in the morning. When I was quite young, I knew that I shouldn't be up, but I was down there just, and everyone is always like, oh my gosh, do you like make a roller coaster and then like kind of like deconstruct it so your, so your, um, guests go flying or do you drown your guests? I'm like, absolutely not. I would never do that. I always make, maintain a lovely park. I make sure <laughs> that everyone is happy. I meet my goals within ample time. I'm very, I, I love management games. I love anything where I can build a world. Um, and that was my first introduction to it. So I was obsessed. I would play all the time. I would never get any homework done. Um, so when I saw that Atari had released it in the app store for $8, I thought, okay, well, that's expensive for a mobile game. I'm not sure if I want to pull the trigger, but I I had to do it. I had to know if it tasted exactly the way it did when I was young. And honestly, it does. It totally translates. I'm having so much fun with it. I'm still now staying up till three in the morning, building my parks. It's so ridiculous because once I reach a goal, I'm like, Marissa, did you, did you actually have to stay up to do this? Like, why are you still playing this game? It's one of those things. Um, but no, I'm, I love, I can't even recommend it enough. Like if you, I don't know if you guys played this game growing up at all, but, uh, I just, it brings me so much joy. Well, okay. I want to, I'm so curious about this. So several questions. First of all, (laughs) is it like exactly the game it was, or did they update things for the mobile version? Uh, secondly, haven't there been like more recent roller coaster tycoons? Have you have you played the franchise in its more recent forms, or is it is this literally yeah. like okay. yeah, and they okay. suck. The they worst. suck. Why? They, they, they just don't cut it, Jeff. Oh. I've tried different roller coaster tycoons because I get excited whenever I see you know the symbol and those words. Roller coaster tycoon. A tycoon is very exciting for me, um, but they haven't measured up. Nothing has really cut it. So I was hesitant to pull the trigger on this, but the the advertisement, the sale was exactly how you remember it. Okay. So your old school, like the original roller coaster tycoon, that's all I've really ever wanted. Whenever, whenever I see these remakes or whatever it is, this is going back to the original. Now, of course I was very young playing it. So I don't know if it's, you know, exactly 100, but everything seems exactly the same. So I'm going to go ahead and say, yes, it's an exact port. <laughs> wow. Wow. They didn't update anything. That's amazing. So what can you explain what it has that the newer versions don't? Is it, is it just your memory of it being great or is there literally things that it has that the new ones do not? Yeah, well, I think that was the thing with the newer versions is that I jumped into it wanting the the original version. Mm. Like there was nothing that could. It, I don't care about you know these graphics that are supposed to be much better. Like I I don't care about that at all. I I want my little my little pixelated. Yes, I want um I want everything exactly the way it was because speaking of nostalgia, like that's what we like to hold on to sometimes, right? So when you have a game that brings you that kind of joy, I want to remember it and, and play it exactly like I did. So um this game does that exactly. The newer versions that have come out, like I don't know. I don't know why they couldn't just make a version like this. I don't know why they couldn't make it play out exactly this way. Maybe the tasks weren't as enjoyable. Um I just I remember downloading one, I think it was on Xbox Live, I'm gonna guess. 
um, and it just didn't play out. And I even tried playing Zoo Tycoon, which was, you know, okay, mm. but not the same vibe at all. Not enough um, roller coasters. Not enough roller coasters, man. <laughs> I need them roller coasters. Um, and this is, honestly, like if you, I can't even think of anything that would be different. Like I'm guessing you guys didn't play this game. No. How, does it, how does it monetize? Is it just a, like a four ninety nine one time purchase, or that, what's that's a... it? It is. Well, I guess it's different for you guys in America, but in Canada, it was uh, eight dollars for me, um, and I just paid that one fee, and that was it. There's been no clamoring to get me to pay anything else. That I just paid for the full version of the game, and that's it. I'm playing this this amazing, and it saves every time I lock out of it. Like it's it's wonderful. All the sounds are the same. The smells are the same. Um, <laughs> you know everything about it that I remember. It just, it brings me joy and it makes me kind of feel young again, to be honest. I love it. I love it. I mean, that is, I guess that's exactly what people want from those Nintendo games is, you know, that for them, that's their roller coaster tycoon. But just hearing you talk about it makes me want to play it. I'm like, I want to, I want to feel that. That sounds awesome. It's so much fun. Like you get to unlock, you know, different coasters. Of course, you have your own, um, the money that you need to work with in game in each park, uh, each landscape has its own challenge. Um, which obviously as an adult now, I reach those challenges pretty simply. Like it's pretty easy for me to get there, but I remember being young and, and, failing some of these challenges because I couldn't figure out, um, you know, the best way to do it. So now I guess as an adult, it's, it's a lot easier. If I guess they could update it with like a hard setting or something or an adult <laughs> setting. Like you play this when you're a kid, but here's the adult setting. See if you can really manage I love it. a roller coaster park. Awesome. So that's roller coaster tycoon and it's, you play it on iOS or Android? Yeah. Yeah, I play iOS. Yeah, awesome. Uh, you're also playing Far Cry 5. You said you're you're trying to finish that game, but it is causing some consternation vastly different from roller coaster tycoon <laughs> I, am playing, I am playing far cry 5 yes uh i was just in love with the whole idea of the game like i didn't get into the last far cry at all um just wasn't my cup of tea and this one just i'm i'm obviously i'm assuming you guys have played it already and then gotten a lot further than i've gotten but um i i love you know the politics behind it i love that i really feel terrified at every turn like I don't like I I like to hide in games I like to be far away from the drama and and the fight I always like to snipe people because I get really panicked in in you know melee combat um so I always try to stay far away so I can't really crouch in any bushes in this game because there's always like a freaking turkey that's trying to kill me and it's like insane I, I love it I love that I have so much anxiety playing it I love putting the controller down and feeling a little shaken up especially with my interactions with faith my god like that girl scares me. Like I'm, yeah. I'm scared of her. Um, and I, I love it. I love that this game gives me or brings me these feelings. And I should also, you know, preface this by saying I'm bad. I feel like I'm very bad at video games. Like I, I play them and I get through it, but I always feel like I fail a lot. And this game allows me to fail, but then like kind of get right back into it again and know that, you know what? I can, I can do this. Like I can get through it. Um, and I, and just like spoiler, I feel like the new, uh, Tomb Raider game is also going to be that kind of experience because I also got to play that, guys. It was a lot of fun. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, I don't want to get off of Far Cry 5 too fast because I, I love that you're enjoying it. Um, I, I got to return to that game. I feel like I'm in this weird post-God of War uh, place of like nothing sounds good enough to play <laughs> anymore. Well, De- oh Detroit. Detroit's knocking on your door. Yeah, Detroit will be here soon. Um, but tell me about... Tell me about playing, uh, you got to play what, the first hour of, of uh, Tomb Raider? 
Yes, I got to play the first hour of Shadows of the Tomb Raider. And uh, I was, well, first of all, Hip Hop Gamer was playing. I don't know if you guys know Hip Hop Gamer, but he was yeah! like playing. I mean, oh yes, my I God. He was playing very close to me. So he was a little further. He must have been, he started maybe five or 10 minutes before me. So he was having very visceral, very loud reactions to everything. So it was almost like spoiling every turn for me. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I got there, I'm like, dude, you're ruining this experience for me. <laughs> um, but no, it, it was, it was so awesome to play as this incredible character who is a lot more jacked now, by the way. Like she seems um, like she could really TCB. Um, <laughs> not that she didn't before, but now she just, she she's her own woman now. And I feel like she's trying to sort out where she is in this world and where she belongs and, and what her future holds, which, uh, you know, a lot of us go through, especially in our 20s, just trying to figure it out. Um, she obviously has a lot more weight on her shoulders, but um, there's this moment, and I, and I don't want to spoil anything, of course, but um, there's this moment where she, this is in the beginning, where she realizes and and makes excuses for something that she did that she feels like, you know, what she knows is wrong, but she's still going to try to backpedal and make it seem like it was okay. And it was a very, like, human moment that she had that, that I felt with her. And for that reason, I fell in love with it because I really identified with this character. And I feel like, you know, man, man or woman can identify with Laura. Like, she, she's that character. Hmm. That's awesome. Um, I'm very, very excited for this game. And did did it? You've played obviously the uh, other uh, new rebooted Tomb Raiders. Did it, did it feel like a step forward from those games, or did it feel like more of a a completion of that idea? Well, that's the thing. This is the complete. Like they had always. Yeah. I was talking to the developers. They had always planned this to be a trilogy, right? So um, every step they took was was to lead up to this moment for her mm-hmm. to have um, this game, for her to have this time, this big crescendo of. Um, the Tomb Raider trilogy that they've put out now. So that I, I do feel like it will have an, an end. Like this will, you know, kind of wrap up the way that they want to tell the story. And then maybe, you know, who, who knows if they start a new one again. But um, I do feel like this is, although I am disappointed that they are bringing water back into it. I didn't, I, I would like rage quit other um, Tomb Raider games just way, like way back when, when she ever she had to go into water and deep dive anywhere, I, I would just stop. I would stop playing because I hate water in any video game ever. Like, I always get panicked, and I feel like I'm drowning, and I can't deal. Um, so she has these moments in this game where you feel like you're not going to make it. Like, you've done something wrong. You've made a wrong turn. You you, you haven't found the right pocket of air. Um, but but the game wants you to feel that panic. So wow. that's, the only, that's the only thing that I'm not really into, but there are a lot of ruins underwater here that you need to find. Well, that's cool. I remember the, the last one, uh, I guess, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Uh, my favorite level was the one where she's under the ice, and you can pop up and get those guys through the little ice hole. That was the second one, right, Christian? I think I think it was. I do not remember the specifics, but I would guess it is because I believe the second one starts on the ice mountain, so it makes. Gosh, you remember sense? when she like she pops up and it's like the, those guys are throwing those oh, gas yes, canisters. Yes, yes, yes. And that she, is the second one. Oh, yes. So rad. I remember that. Yes. Oh, I'm so jealous that you got to play that. I'm very. Wait, excited. why? You, I, thought, I feel like you guys would have also played this. No, why? Uh, we did not. I was having a child. I was. I was out child. of town. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So a I was. Child. I was. I don't know. Bringing new life into the world. 
Yeah, it was uh, prior. It was the conclusion of your child uh, duology. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it will not be a trilogy. I will tell you that right now. Um, <laughs> I mean, Jeff. By the way, GG's on that. Like, congratulations. Kind of a big deal. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, it is uh, exhausting, and I don't recommend it. <laughs> it's very tiring. But, but, but you do because you guys both love being dads, right? Like, it's do. just the, the best thing you've ever done. Yes. yes. The only thing better than Mother's Day is Father's Day. <laughs> no. do, this do you guys do like the breakfast in bed thing is that what your father's day will include or do you feel like you you actually leave your families like you go and do like guy things no i usually am with my my fam for for i mean i've only had the one fa- well two father's days i guess technically um but christian has more experience with father's day it's than all it's all about the fam that's the best it's all about it's, the fam. it's the best time and the best part and then after a full day of fam you tell yourself oh man the kids are in bed and now I can totally just play whatever game I want. And I've had a full day of fam. It's going to be fine. And then it's 930 and you're like. <sighs> yeah. You know what? This is we're totally digressing, but I don't care. Um, I My son has a, a like a sweet like two and a half, three hour nap every day. And before my daughter, that was like my my prime gaming time. And I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> yes, sleep, son. I will game. And now he sleeps and I'm like, I want to nap too. <laughs> now it's time for me to sleep as well. Anyway. Nothing feels better than a good nap, though. Oh, you right? So you right. nap when the kids are napping. Oh, naps are glorious. Better than any video game. <laughs> uh, all right, back to our video game podcast. You can't like gamify a nap somehow. No like, let's, let's I would be so good that. at that. I'd be the esports napper of all time. Have I, I? My wife told me about this, and I forget where she read it. But so maybe it's old and trite, but I hadn't heard of it. Like a nappuccino, and it's like the the thing where you drink your coffee and then take like a twenty to thirty minute nap. So you fall asleep before the caffeine kicks in. You get a short cat nap, and then you wake up, refresh from your nap, and as the caffeine's kicking Jeez. in, and you're That's, ready to go. That sounds wrong in every way. Ready to go. That okay? That it's sounds like, like kind of like it should be a drug of some kind. <laughs> yeah. like, like, Sell it. This is like a pharmaceutical thing. I'm a <laughs> uh, All right, Christian. Uh, tell me what is on your playlist this week. So I've been playing some Fortnite. Mm-hmm. See what Fortnite. What Fortnite did is they became the biggest game in the universe, and then they were like, "We should really partner up with an up and coming brand that needs our help." Like, how can we? as the biggest brand game in the world, or send the elevator down and lift somebody up. And they, they looked at, I don't know if you know, but there's this struggling little movie out called Avengers Infinity War. And it has a bad guy called Thanos, who, Thanos, who I call Thanos, which I know is wrong. Yeah, it's Thanos, it. like like Van. Right, it's a short, it's not yeah. a long A. Yeah. I can't. I know, I used to say Thanos too, but. Why do you change the name of it? Like they call him Thanos in the movie. Uh, the same reason some people say, uh, like, Mario, um, I'm dumb and stubborn. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, fair I called him Thanos my whole childhood because I had only ever read his name in a comic book, and I just ma- you know, just went with it. But now I realize it is Thanos. But yeah, anyway. the O doesn't make the A long, but I can't undo the damage. Yeah. Um, Thanos, 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 Thanos. So anyway, Thanos has come to Fortnite in a limited time event, and the Infinity Gauntlet is in the map, and then you get it, and then you become Thanos, and then... Uh, they've already nerfed him like two or three times, so I'm not going to bother describing how OP he is or is not because it changes rapidly. But it's a, a really cool mode, and I think, again, illustrates how fluid and flexible Fortnite is being in this space and, and apparently in a way that other games can't. I, I imagine because of funds and, and team size, Epic certainly is 
I would imagine, unmatched there. But the circle is already started. Um, where the Infinity Gauntlet drops on the map is clearly marked where Thanos is. Oh, I'm doing it. I'm saying, yay. <laughs> I'll keep saying his name so I have it right at the end of this episode. Where, where Thanos is is always marked on the map so you can see. And it kind of creates this rush to to get the gauntlet and play as him. But I find more often than not, in my play experiences, having not won in that mode, but watching the winner, it, it's maybe 50-50 that Thanos wins or someone else wins. Because you get into these situations where everybody rushes for the gauntlet. And if you're able to have like three people left and you can get a kill and then Thanos is down. And then you know that that other person, if that you get in this awesome uh, chicken moment where it's like, yeah, go ahead and go for it. I know where you're going. And then the circle's also constricting. So it's kind of forcing you toward each other. And it's this dance of like, okay, I'm going to try to build a structure to get over to the gauntlet because then I can jump up and smash you. Meanwhile, the other person is trying to set up the best shot. Is the game rounding it? Is the game smart enough to know not to uh, put the circle, not to have the gauntlet outside the circle or does it not care? No, it spawns it. Well, every time I've played and every time I've seen the gauntlet spawns within the play circle. But if like somebody dies and then the circle is constricting, will it leave the, the gauntlet outside the circle or? That's a great question. I would guess it would, but I don't know. I have not uh, come across that situation. Hmm. Interesting. But that is a great, that's a great question, but it's a really fun mode and it's a really quick game. It it plays a lot quicker than standard Fortnite, which also plays quicker than, you know, standard PUBG or even, um, uh, uh, radical heights. Um, I think it's one of the fastest modes. If you're looking for a way to get in and Thanos, the character, it's definitely inspired by infinity war and it's an awesome, awesome implementation of that character in the world and now and apparently too this much like ninja and drake playing Fortnite together was not born out of you know doritos mountain dew marketing genius it was uh the russo brothers were fans of Fortnite, and they were playing it while editing and like tweeted they're like this game's great <laughs> and epic was like we like your movies <laughs> and then this became fans of two of the biggest things in the world so it's uh, pretty it's amazing. That's pretty amazing that that happened organically like that. And I think I, I keep reflecting on the last, what, year, year and a half, where we were doing episodes every week and sort of the phenomenon of Fortnite was happening underneath our feet as we were talking about it. It was it's a strange thing to reflect on because. You know, we were talking about how huge this PUBG thing was. You were playing PUBG like crazy and. I, you know, I reviewed Fortnite as the wave shooter, PVE wave shooter that it was released as and was sort of, you know, digging on that. But it, 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 it the phenomenon happened as we were staring right at it and it still <laughs> right. feels impossible and weird. You're like, it, it, it's amazing that it has become this global phenomenon. I mean, I was, listening to my sports talk radio that I listen to in the car sometimes. Right, right. And they're talking about who's the pitcher that was like, just told to stop uh, playing Fortnite because he had carpal tunnel and had to go on the DL or DA. Yeah. What David it, Price. yeah, yeah. Right. I was like, we are, this is weird. The world is, is, is Fortnite's world at this point. It is crazy how this game has just exploded on a level that none of us predicted. It's wild. I think it's just the a testament to, I guess, BR, so Battle Royale, but also like the cultural, the, the meme culture and, yeah. and people, you know, posting stories to their Instagram or whatever it is and, and people just memeing these dances. Like these dances have now bled their way into my everyday. I don't even, not even playing Fortnite and I'm seeing kids 
just dancing, doing the dance on the street with their buddies, like yeah. w- whatever it is that they're doing. Or at, like I watch a lot of baseball I, and I'm even just seeing like the, my sports feed too on Twitter, like a, a boxer just did the loser dance yeah. too. My, I have uh, my cousin who's a teacher in Saskatoon is telling me, she's like, she's asking me about Fortnite. She doesn't understand what these kids are talking about. So I'm explaining it to her and she's like, no, you don't, you don't understand like, in like in the playground, there are kids being bullied for not playing Fortnite as well, wow. but also like the kids are doing like the loser dance to some other kids too, like as a form of bullying. I'm like, hold up, like this is just completely bled into cool things, but also like some negative things too that I'm not sure. I don't know how we can control or how Epic can even control. Yeah, well, I guess with everything that gets to a level of that popularity, there's going to be some negative stuff. Um, but I, I don't. The thing that's Maybe I'm naive. I'm almost certainly naive, but it seems to me, you know, we, we, we're talking about this sort of being an organic thing between Fortnite and, uh, Marvel as far as making Thanos in the game. It feels to me like Fortnite as a phenomenon, phenomenon was fairly organic. Like you can't design a game to do that. I feel like that just has to happen and it has to be some weird magical fairy dust that happens. I think it's a little of both. I think you can design it to, or you can do you your can best accentuate to things to take advantage of it. I think, but I don't think, I don't think they thought it was going to be this. I don't know if they thought it would be this big, but you have to remember, like we talked about, every PUBG was, you know, nothing can dethrone PUBG. It's the best. It's it's incredible. And I think for real, people at Epic were playing it and were huge fans of it. And I think people at Bosky were fans of the genre when they started making Radical Heights and. Uh, you know, I think the Russo brothers were fans of Fortnite or playing it. So like when PUBG was that game and everybody was talking about it and then, uh, Epic had this incredible engine in Fortnite. I think it was, they, they, they looked at what PUBG did really well and then they thought about what they could add to it. And I think the smartest things they did to the genre are free to play on every console at PC, Xbox and PlayStation at the time when PUBG was the hottest game in the world and only available on PC. So right out of the gate. You're opening it up to a bigger player base and people that want to play the genre of game but hadn't been able to. And now they can and for free on a polished engine. And then from the get-go, they had these skins and really cool aesthetic choices made for the game that and in these dances and emotes and all of this stuff that encourage people to be creative with them and share them and, and use them in game. So it's going to bleed out of game. And then I think the thing they maybe didn't anticipate being as successful as it is, is the battle pass, which now rocket league has announced, I think in their summer season, they're doing something similar to it where it's, you know, you pay 10 bucks, you get these checkpoints. And then along the way you get these rewards. I think that was a very, very smart aspect of the game that keeps you invested in it. Whereas otherwise it's a free to play game you might bounce off of, but you're getting actual loot in return for playing in the game and giving you an incentive to keep playing, even if you're not winning. And I I think it had the recipe for, for being what it is. But I think Marissa is also right in that it also came out at the time where a very meme culture and Insta stories and Snapchat and a lot of the stuff in Fortnite is very quick and shareable in a fun way. Whereas PUBG, it's just like a snipe from across the map isn't quite as cool as a rocket streaking across the map, blowing up a fort, things exploding, and then you're doing a loser dance. Like that's yeah. very visual. That cartoony aspect of it, I think, is is appealing to people. Um, yeah, Marissa, yeah. Oh, you should pour a little liquor though for H1Z1 because. <laughs> yeah. 
like rip. I I mean, they just started this H1Z1 Pro League, which, you know, is exciting for gamers um, that play it. I just don't know who is watching. They're going to be broadcasting on Facebook as well to bring in a casual audience. Um, but this casual audience playing Battle Royale is playing Fortnite. So um, I'm just not like now we want the cartoony. We, we want mm. these memeable things. So I don't know how the casual is going to hold on to H1Z1 and go back because they really are the originator. If you think about it, it oh, was yeah. Battle Royale. And now it's just so sad that um, no one's really paying attention. And I just feel bad for those, those devs. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And, and it really was what I was about to ask you, which is, do you think that BR is the future of esports or do you think it's a, a sort of blip that will, that won't stand the test of time? Like, you know, deathmatch and capture flag and stuff. Um, yeah, I'm seeing, uh, all of these different tournaments pop up and the best one I've seen so far in person actually was Ninja's um, Vegas event that he had. It was just Ninja Vegas 18 and it was basically everybody playing Fortnite with and against Ninja. So the whole idea was to um, win the round, of course, and you'd make money. But if you took out Ninja, you would make even more money. Mm -hmm. So um, it was exciting for people to watch because Ninja obviously has a lot of followers online. So he is the face of this franchise, essentially. Um, so having having an influencer behind a battle royale, I think, is the best way to do it because mm. people are going to be involved and engaged and excited versus um, jumping into H1Z1 and watching this or even PUBG. Like for esports to succeed, you need to have an audience that cares about the gamer. So um, with battle royale, there are so many gamers playing. How do you tell a story that people want to watch? Like right. you, you'll, you'll follow maybe one player and he'll get a couple of kills and you, you follow his whole arc, his storyline, and then he gets taken out. And so now who do you follow? Now who does the observer have to watch for, right? Like it, it takes the viewer out of it. So um, I, I don't know if Battle Royale is the future. I feel like there are going to be amazing tournaments. Absolutely. They will make some money. But the best way for Battle Royale to succeed, I believe, is through their major influencers like Ninja. He'll bring in the audience for them. Man, that, I think that is such a, an astute um, analysis. I appreciate that. That's really a, a viewpoint I didn't really consider. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Really cool. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I've got to, I mean, the thing is they were having the H1Z1 Tournament Pro League launching the exact same day that Ninja was having his tournament in Vegas. So I got yeah. to see them basically play out at the exact same time into the audiences for both in real time. And it was... Um, it was crazy to see the excitement for one versus the other. Like it's just totally different worlds with the same genre of game. It's, it's, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for sure, but, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of money. <laughs> There's a lot of money in this stuff, man. So, That's for sure. um, like, like Caesar's palace just poured a ton of money into H1Z1. So, um, we'll see where it goes. I don't think it helps the devs necessarily because obviously we were met with some, they were met with some bad news right after the launch of H1Z1 Pro League, but, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. Honestly, we'll see. Hmm. It's all, it's all up to Ninja, man. It's <laughs> yeah. It's Ninja's world. We're just living in it. <laughs> uh, so Christian, what else, you, what else you've been playing? Other things I'll just point people to if they want to check them out for, uh, my St. Jude children's research hospital doing some charity streams, which people can still donate. Um, but I streamed Jurassic park on the Genesis. I tweeted at Chris Pratt to see if he wanted to hang in chat. He politely did not, respond or probably see my tweet that uh, is polite it is polite for him to completely so ignore polite. you and or not know you exist oh yeah he's he's a uh, very busy man no ill will um <laughs> jurassic park on sega genesis and x-men 2 clone wars both on genesis and those streams are archived 
on my Twitch, which is Christian Spicer, and also on my YouTube, which is Christian Spicer 713. And all I will say about both of them is um, I'm not very good at either of them anymore. <laughs> and I think both serve as games of their era um, where they went for graphics over gameplay and neither stand the test of time for being good action platformers um, for reasons I talk about in the stream. I can talk about it here. We don't need to spend time on it. They're like 20 year old games, but uh, they're neither are great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too bad. It was it. Did you know that going in or is that a realization that you came to after play? A realization. I was very hyped about both. I got when I found oh. that my folks actually kept my old games in the attic. So I, I brought all of them home and those were two I was like, I remember these games were awesome. I remember loving these games. I remember the art was incredible, the graphics were incredible, I was so stoked. And they that they both have some serious problems in terms of telegraphing where to go or rewarding um uh memorization, the way like Mega Man doesn't telegraph where to go, but it rewards that memorization. And neither of these games balance that well at all. But both are beautiful from their time and uh <laughs> unfairly difficult as well hmm. i think this this episode sort of has a theme that has emerged uh in uh, with marissa's roller coaster tycoon and your uh old games that you went back and playing and now on my playlist it is very much uh, exactly what i was talking about which is a game that seems kind of old-ish inspired by old-ish but very modern. Uh, this is exactly what I was talking about uh, when we were talking about Nintendo's Virtual Console, where the things I like are the things that make me feel that nostalgia, but also feel very fresh and modern and new and are newest, latest, best. So uh, my my playlist, mostly of what I've been playing this week, is a game called The Sword of Ditto. And actually, I got a chance to talk to one of the designers of the game. It's a very small studio called One Bit Beyond. Uh, Devolver published it, but One Bit Beyond is the studio putting it out. Uh, I had an interview with Sam Robinson, which will actually be bonus content on the end of this episode, so be sure to stick around for that. It's a really interesting conversation. This is a uh, a group of eight people that made this game. He is the level designer and sound designer, <laughs> because those always go together. Um, it, it's really fascinating. But let me tell you about the game. Uh, the Sword of Ditto it very much feels inspired by the first Legend of Zelda, the old NES Legend of Zelda. It's that top-down uh, action role-playing game. You get a sword, the Sword of Ditto, and that em- empowers you with a bunch of Zelda-esque powers. You'll get more items and cool stuff. But the game is also a roguelike, a pretty hardcore roguelike, actually. And every time you die, the narrative in the universe fast-forwards 100 years, and you get reborn with a a whole randomized set of attributes. It, you can be a random gender, random race, random uh, hairstyles and looks and all kinds of stuff. You just become a new character and then you go and you retrieve the sort of ditto and you, you know, get the powers again. Uh, and then there's certain things that carry over from life to life and certain things that don't. And you, and the most interesting thing is you are having a showdown. The game is leading up to a showdown with you and your big, bad Ganon-esque boss. I think its name is Mormu or something like that. You are going to fight that boss every time. Well, unless you die beforehand. But you are. It, there's five days until you have to fight that boss. Five in-game days. There's a day-night cycle in the game. And after five days, whether you like it or not, you're fighting that boss. So... It's all about how you spend those five days in leading up to that boss fight. 
Are you trying to get a bunch of resources that will carry over to your next life because you know you're going to get your butt handed to you by the boss? Are you actually gearing up to make a run at this boss to see how far you can go and, and learn the boss and figure out things that you're going to need later or maybe even beat the boss this time? Are you collecting? There are different um, artifacts around the world that if you destroy them will make the boss weaker. So you can scramble around in those five days and try to destroy as many of those as possible to try to weaken the boss so you can actually beat them, beat him this time. Interesting, interesting, interesting. But it actually makes it, – it's built in – that roguelike element is built in in such a way that it's almost – it almost feels a little treadmill-y at first because you know in five days when you first start the game, you know you're going to lose. In fact, the very first thing that happens in the game is you meet the boss and it kills you. And it's like, okay, <laughs> this is what it's going to be like, so you better get better. And then you can start – interacting with all of them, the game's mechanisms and, and uh, power-ups that you can co- cobble together and try to bequeath to yourself a hundred years hence uh, by, you know, uh, getting money and killing a bunch of things. A lot of the stuff you lose. So it, you have to be a really um, smart about how you spend things. And if you're going to buy a bunch of stuff that w- you will lose if you die – is that a wise choice or should you just kind of be a piggy bank for a bunch of lifetimes and then spend it all on a big push? There's a lot of strategy there, a lot of interesting ideas. I think the game actually would work. I even bring this up to Sam in our interview. I think the game would work uh, not as a roguelike. I think it's a strong enough action role-playing game and the universe is interesting. I haven't even mentioned yet, the game is gorgeous. It is a beautiful, crisp, sort of Saturday morning cartoon animation style that is... It looks so cute. It right? Looks so cute. Yeah. yeah. It's, I really, uh, I'm so charmed by the game. Um, and so I think it would work as just a standard sort of Zelda-esque role-playing game. And this added layer of the showdown and the roguelike stuff adds a lot of stress and pressure that I don't know that I love, but it was interesting dealing with it. And uh, I really like the game a lot. I, I'm, I recommend it. It's only 15 bucks. It's I'm playing it on PlayStation four, um, but it's also it available on, on steam. It is not on switch oh. yet, but it does seem like a game that would be great on switch. It's like a perfect switch game. You just sit down, play five days, die, pick it up again later. I yeah. like this. I really like, and minute is another M I N I T. I think is how it's spelled. Yeah. Is another version of this, like, tweaking, you know, taking what is a classic Zelda formula kind of thing and then adding that twist or polish to it. And having not played this game, Jeff, I don't know, but I feel like had they not added that five-day mechanic, it's kind of like, oh, well, this is another new, it's a Zelda-like and it's pretty and it's fun, but I feel like this is kind of the hook that gets you interested in it and, and, and makes it different from just another also ran. Well, Sam talks about that in our interview. I don't want to spoil the interview because it's a really interesting one. And I hope people stick around at the end of the episode to check it out. But he he directly addresses that. And he's like, yeah, we didn't always have that in the game, but we added it hmm. because uh, it adds a lot of focus. And, and it like people would just sort of meander around and look about look around the universe. Oh, the other thing that's crazy about the game is that it's all procedurally generated. So you could theoretically play it infinitely and it and you wouldn't play the same level twice. So but the game doesn't look procedurally generated, doesn't feel procedurally generated. Uh, it is. They did a lot of hard work to make the procedural levels feel handcrafted, which is is pretty remarkable. And uh, I don't know. There's a lot to like. It's it's called the Sword of Ditto, and I've been playing it on PlayStation Four. 
All right, uh, let's move on now, and uh, we'll get to some quick questions. But first, I want to thank our second sponsor, which is Audible. If you're listening to this, chances are you like audio entertainment. I love audio entertainment, too. I use it to motivate myself to do things. As I say at the beginning of every episode when I'm talking about our geeks and sneaks and stuff, and I, I love the idea that people listen to this show while they're doing other things, while they're exercising or whatever. I think that's cool. But I tend to use audiobooks to motivate me because I want to find out what happens next in a story. And that's why I love Audible. Audible is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the internet. They have audiobooks, they have nonfiction, they have all kinds of really interesting stuff. More than you would think, more, more genres, more, I mean, I tend to use it for the kinds of books that I would read anyway, you know, fantasy and sci-fi stuff. And they have tons of that. But they also have lots of informational things. They have radio plays. They have all kinds of cool stuff. And the benefit of using Audible is that you can switch seamlessly between devices, picking up where you left off when you switch to your Kindle or your iPad or your phone or whatever. If you want to read some and listen to some, it's really, really cool to be able to do that. They also have uh, such wonderful ease of use in moving from your car to, you know, going on a jog or whatever you're, whatever it is you do. It's so simple with Audible, and it's the the one stop shop for everything audio. It's wonderful. Membership uh, includes one free audio book a month, exclusive sales, and thirty percent off all regularly priced audiobooks. You get free apps. Uh, you can download and listen to them on pretty much any device you can imagine, iOS, Android, Amazon Fire, Windows Phone, anything. And um, it, it you can even send books to people, which is cool. You can clip out things and share audio excerpts. It's got chapter navigation and speed control, whisper sync for voice. It's awesome. Audiobooks are great for helping you be a better you. Whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new, try books like books uh, – well, the one I always try to recommend is the audiobook that I narrated, Traveling in Space, which is a science fiction story about first contact with aliens, but told from the alien's perspective. It's really funny. It's really insightful. I had a great time doing it. I did about 40 voices for it, which is pretty wild. Uh, here are some uh, books that Audible recommends. Um the Sleep Revolution, The Power of Habit. Uh, those are for a healthy you. Uh, for a successful you, The Four-Hour Work Week. Uh, these are uh, really interesting books. Um, I was just listening to, I'm still listening to, Oathbringer, which is the new Brandon Sanderson novel in the Stormlight Archive series. Really, really cool. And guess what? Guess what? Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. So you just go to audible.com slash DLC, or this is kind of cool, you can text DLC to 500-500 and then browse their unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. Again, that's audible.com slash DLC or text DLC to 500-500 to get started today. Yo, Jeff, no joke, not to interrupt your awesome plug there. Um, I'm going to do this because I now have to travel an hour, yeah, an hour and 15 minutes every morning in traffic to get to my studio. This is like a new thing for me that I'm trying to deal with. It's been very difficult. Um, and I need entertainment as I go. So I'm thinking about getting into audiobooks. Um, oh, I recommend it highly. Podcast thing, but 
Okay. okay. Yeah. Gonna, oh my gosh. It's great. It'll make you feel, you know, I love reading, but it's hard to find time to just sit down with a good book and it makes you feel like you've accomplished something. It also takes the sting away from commutes and stuff like that because I get lost in the story. The narrators are so good for some of these books, especially uh, that narrator on traveling in space, such a good narrator. Um, but <laughs> no, no, honestly, it, it, it really takes the sting away from long commutes because I'm like, oh, I, I would want to listen to this anyway. I want to be here doing this. So uh, I think you'll like right, it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm, I'm going to be all over this because awesome. of you, Jeff. Well, because of you. I appreciate it. Well, be sure to use our promo code. Okay, well, <laughs> I got it. And I got it. All right, let's get into some quick questions. Quick questions are sent in by you guys, our listeners, and you can send them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's also where you can send any comments or questions you have about the show. But we love those quick questions. Uh, you can also post them in our subreddit. There's a sticky thread at 5x5dlc.reddit.com um, with uh, quick questions. First one comes from Tim Abraham. Tim says, quick question. What setting is the first you turn off or on when playing a game? Marissa, do you go to the settings and tweak anything when you when you start a new game? I honestly never do. I never do. I just go into it and start playing. I don't even think about changing anything. Really? Um, yeah. Maybe that's why I'm bad at video games. No, maybe no. Maybe I should that's... figure this out. <laughs> the setting just turn <laughs> off a bad, and then now you'll be good at video games. Oh, uh, is that how you do it? Oh, sh- okay. I got it. <laughs> From now on, A+. Plus. Uh, Christian, how about you? Do you, uh, do you change any settings when you're about to play a game? So, you know, maybe overanalyzing this question, I think more often than not, the first thing I do is adjust the brightness, but it's because they make you do that. It's like, until this logo is barely visible. And but I'm do like, you do it, do you, do you do it in games that don't, that don't do that to you? Do you like go no. in and no, no, only when it's the first problem. It's like, okay, it's barely visible. Cause I hate now that. I'll, now I'll make it two more clicks visible. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> I hate that when they force you to do that because I'm always second guessing. I'm like, well, it's visible, but is it, am I, did I, am I following directions correctly? Is uh, it a ghost? Did I, am I just seeing it because it was there and now it's gone and I yeah. can still see it? And, oh, I um, hate that. I hate it when they force you to do that because I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then the one I do that, uh, many people will hate, I invert my Y axis and I tried this past weekend. My daughter and I were playing, um, Sea of Thieves, uh, which I didn't talk about in place. So we didn't play much, maybe that like half an hour. And I, she, I asked her, I'm like, what feels more natural to you? And she said that she thought it would be standard and not invert. So I changed it for her and I was like, maybe I can figure this out. And I was really good at Sea of Thieves having it be standard or not inverted, I guess. Um, and and then I was like, oh yeah, this is gonna be the weekend I learn. And then I switched over to Fortnite. And like the moment something like the heat of action happened, I was like, whoa! whoa. <laughs> Just and my instincts kicked in. I was pointing the wrong way. I was like sniping up into the sky, and it was a real mess. But maybe Gears of War made me learn to switch from Southpaw controls. That used to be the first yeah. switch I would make. Gears of War forced that switch because you needed the A button so much that. You could, it didn't work well in Southpaw, in my opinion. So maybe I'll I'll stop being inverted. But I'm still that old school, it's a camera on a stick turning someone's head. So that's me. You're weird. You're yep. weird. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not. But thanks for the uh, judgment and scorn and making yeah. me feel like another. What's your setting, Jeff? No, I'm glad I'm glad you read that because that's exactly what Marissa and I both intended you to feel. I believe. Go Rockets, baby. <laughs> um, oh, <God. laughs> I uh, w- when it's a PC game and we've. I don't remember if it was before the show started. I think it may have been when I said that I'm sort of primarily PC at this point. Um, 
when it's a PC game, I always, 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 before the game starts, I always go to the graphics settings and just, just see, just see what it auto detected. Nine times out of 10, the resolution's wrong. And I'm like, I want to, I want to use the default resolution on my monitor. Sometimes I'll bump up the settings and see if I lose too many frames and see if I can play a game on ultra or whatever. I just want to see the prettiest version, make sure I'm good. So on PC, I never start a game before going to options and, and graphic settings. But on console, I almost never go to the options. Because nine times out of ten on a console game, options are like brightness and that's it. Or, you know, there's, there's two or like subtitles or whatever. That is one, though, that I will change. I will always, if the game starts and there's subtitles, I will turn the subtitles off. Because I drive myself insane reading ahead. Ugh, I hate that. I hate reading ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think you're right too. I should I should say that I mostly just console game. I never PC, so yeah. that is also why I just don't change anything ever. Yeah, I don't think you on consoles. I rarely find the need to, but it's an interest. I mean, because I'm, I'm not a weird inverted y-axis guy. Um, <laughs> well, few are. <laughs> it's true. Uh, all right, this one comes from Pete Benstead. Uh, Pete says, "Quick question: Do you think your participation in gaming media?" has influenced your love for video games positively or negatively? Or at all, I guess, would be the insinuation. Marissa, you've been doing this for, for a while now, for several years. What do you think, uh, what, what do you think about this question? Um, I guess if, uh, I don't know, I have to think about the way he means it. Like, um, my, like, going to events, like, for example, the, the Tomb Raider event I just went to, that, the going to that event and experiencing it with other gamers and other people in the media, um, just being part of this, you know, community has influenced me in a very positive way because, um, it, it may be almost hip hop gamer changes. notwithstanding. <laughs> right. Of course, of course. Um, but it maybe, you know, changes my perspective on what a game could be because I'm seeing so many other people around me enjoying it and loving it so much too. Right. And there's a whole vibe that this community brings. So, um, I think that it's um, obviously affected my the way I see games. Like I, I just see it as so much more of a culture now and a community. And um, I like even when the even when the show even when our show got canceled, Jeff. Like I was so sad. I was so sad because I don't get to talk about video games every day constantly and like thinking about them and reading the news. Like that that really brought me down and almost made me feel negative about video games for a little while too because I wasn't part of the scene i guess if that makes sense yeah um so yeah i mean to his question for sure it's definitely affected my vibe for video games entirely like i I'll, and plus it helped me to explore and reach out to other games that i i never would have tapped into at all like uh, knowing the gamer that i was i never would have jumped into like even thinking about playing god of war like no friggin' way would i go near any game like that because it seems too intense for me but now it's like no i want to know the story i want to know why everyone loves this so much like these are the things that pull me in so it is it is this you know overarching community thing that that brings you into it and i guess you do like these consoles now or these these publishers like they want you to feel part of the community too even if you're not part of the games media like it's all about playing online together and sharing together because they want you to feel these things too yeah so well said uh christian how about you what is uh what is your take on this participation in gaming media influencing your feeling about video games it's a hard question to answer i i i don't think it's influenced my opinion on video games one way or the other i i do think 
Um, I game differently because of it. I love video games, and I think I, I would love video games even if I wasn't in, in the situation I'm in. Um, but I think I'm, I gravitate toward newer games more quickly and more often. I play games faster than I otherwise would. So sometimes I'm like, oh, I, I need to you know, play this game to get it done so we can have this dev on or you know whatever and normally i would take my time through it it's like a fine wine or like a book that i don't want to end i struggle with sitting down to play because like oh if i play it i'm one more hour into it (laughs) versus just like really savoring it um so it's changed that way but also it's hard to be upset i'm very fortunate that you know i I get to go to events and play games early or, or um um I'm, I, I like, I, I'm very fortunate and I, I love, I think for me, I guess if it has made me love the industry more, it's all the friends I've made that are in it and that I otherwise maybe wouldn't have met if it wasn't for the position that I'm in. And I, I think I would still love video games the same, but the um, uh, understanding I have for game development and the friends that I've made that are making the sausage that I love, that I love so much um, is something that I'm, I'm very, I, I appreciate very much and I realize I'm very lucky to have. And that's something that I am, I'm thankful for every day. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's well said as well. I, I'm, I agree wholeheartedly on, on both of you guys' points. Um, it, it is true that the people is, that you get to meet and the ways in which you have insight into how video games are made and marketed and the, the human beings that are, along the ride in every step of that process, I think enamored, certainly enamors me to, to the whole industry in a way that I wouldn't have had before. And I, I hope, I hope this show does its bit to open that curtain a, a little bit and give people that listen to the show uh, some of that same insight and some of that same love. I, I will say it's changed how I interact with video games in a way that may not be 100% positive. Uh, I think Christian touched on this slightly in the sense that I think my my analysis, my uh, equation for whether or not I'm going to play something in, in the time that I have to play games is much different than it would be were I not doing this for a living. I mean, it'd be Heroes of the Storm. <laughs> it might be. It might just only be Heroes of the Storm all the time. And and, Yo, and that's are you a hot guy for real. Oh yeah, I get. I have a. I have a coach. I get coached in that game every week. Jeffrey, uh, yeah, this I'm is astonishing to me. Okay. Do you cover? Do you cover heroes? I just started covering some heroes. Yeah, just getting into it a little bit now and learning the rules and how everything works. It's it's very. I did not know you were this guy. Oh yeah, I am. I'm. I'm that guy. I. Yes, it's it's my addiction for sure. Um, and they just had Heroes of the Dawn this weekend, which was really cool. Anyway, um, so yeah, it. but I think that's a positive thing that I'm forced outside of falling into that rut. I don't think it would necessarily be a rut, but just getting laser focused on one game. I'm glad that I play lots more things and I play way more things than I would were I not doing this for a living. But also the sort of negative tinge that I see sometimes is do I go back and, you know, do I finish out that thing? Do I go back and play that game just cause I love it? Or do I play something that'll actually benefit the audience for me to have a perspective on? Do I, and, and honestly, sometimes that feels a little less fun uh, to be completely frank is sometimes I'm like, well, I would love to go back and just finish out, Assassin's Creed Origins or whatever. 
but I've talked about that four times on the show already. So it's not a good use of my time. You know, a good use of my time is to play something new, to try a game that maybe a smaller game that people aren't talking about. You know, it's and, the job aspect of it, and it's yeah. a job you do and have done very well for years. And that's the flip side of it. It's like it's amazing. It's it's incredible. It's a job. It's, yeah. And at times it's a, it's a, it's a very real and serious job, but it, yes. And that's absolutely the case. And I, I just wish sometimes that I could switch that off and just be like, no, I'm going to take a couple of hours and just do something for me. And yeah, I still play here's with the storm. So maybe I am doing that, but you know, I don't know. There's, there's that cal- that calculation that's happening sometimes is hard to switch off. And I go, oh, this I'm wasting my hours that I could be doing something that will lead to productive discussion on the show. So I don't know. I guess that's a little kind of what Pete was asking about here. Um, yeah, that's a really good point, Jeff. It's true. Cause like, I feel guilty even going back to far cry. Like I should, I should be done now. Like I right. need to move on, but, but I feel like I can't like the game. These, these guys made this game for us to play it. Like I should give it its due. Yeah. Well, I have the opposite uh, thing where I'm like, I would love to go back and finish Far Cry, but it's sort of in my rearview mirror now too much. And to, I, I feel guilty because I'm like, well, there's like six games that are still installed on my hard drive or on my consoles. I'm like, oh, I'll, there'll be this magical time when I'll go back and finish those games. Uh, and it's not true because I'm always onto the next thing. And that's a little, Feel, I feel a little guilty about that because you're right. People did make those games and I do want to see the end of them and I do want to finish them out and I'm having fun with them. And if it was just about fun, I'd still be playing that, but it's not always just about fun. So anyway, okay. That wasn't so quick, but that was a question. Uh, next quick question. This comes from Brady. He says, if you could pick any game to be on the Nintendo Switch, what would it be? Oh, this is a great one because I know, uh, Marissa, you're a big fan of the Switch. Christian, we always talk about this as far as like, and we, we were just talking about this as with regard to the sort of ditto games that feel like they would be great to have portable. Marissa, do you have a, a game that you wish, and you can't say roller coaster ty- tycoon. No, you can't if you want to. Um. <laughs> um, well, I say roller coaster tycoon. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> honestly, like we, even though I just talked about, we shouldn't go back and play games we used to play. Um, I totally want to go back and play a game that I used to play. But uh, do you guys remember the best Mario game ever made and i'm assuming this guy is talking this question is relating to games that aren't nintendo but um i really okay first of all do you know the best mario game that was ever made world no i'm very curious what you're gonna say subjective (laughs) if you say sunshine i'm gonna be very shocked uh it is super mario sunshine (laughs) no that's not the best mario ever made yes it is super mario sunshine come at me bro yes it is maybe if you live in the frozen tundra of canada you know you that is that is also accurate i you know i grew up in saskatchewan so um there may be something to that but um the isle of delfino is something so special to me and the introduction of flood was something so special to me and getting to just Oh God! Like, like get the little sun, like the little sunshine, get the little stars, little suns, collect them in each level. Like that was so much freaking fun for me. And honestly, like that game brought me deeper into video games. Like I didn't think that I would feel this way about them, and that was the game that did that for me. So if I could have some kind of sunshine remastered, or even if Nintendo drops you know, a sunshine too wow. on the Switch, that would be something very special for me. 
I love that you love that game so much. I think you are the only person I've ever heard that ranks that as the top of their Mario list, but I love it. I love that you love it so I much. I feel like there's got to be a subreddit for this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a very, very, uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, support group. A support group is the word I was looking for. Uh, I love it. Uh, I'll go with community, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christian, do you have an answer for this one? What game would you love on the Nintendo Switch? My cheap answer would be all of them. Um, it's my preferred cheap. console. Yeah, it's really cheap. My three real ones, uh, current games, uh, Fortnite and PUBG. Uh, I would like both of those games on that system. And then if I'm looking back at like the game that I think it was most likely to be on Switch that I would buy again, even though I own it several times, Resident Evil 4. That's such a good game and it's on everything. So I think there's a good chance that that, that wish might come true. See, I have a little bit different take than you guys on this. I, I feel like there is a very specific kind of game that works best on Switch. I mean, I haven't yeah, really... Video. Well, I haven't really... <laughs> to be honest, I, to be fair, I haven't really played... Uh, um, Skyrim on Switch too much, uh, just briefly, just to see that it worked well. But I don't think that's the kind of game I want to play on my Switch. I don't want to play these big, long, lengthy, engrossing games on my Switch. What I like are games that I can pick up and put down easily, but they all they still have the high production value and they're great games. One of the games I've been clamoring for on Switch just came out this week. Uh, so I'm very excited. Battle Chasers Night War, which I raved about last year on uh, PC, just came out on Switch. So that one I don't have to mention because it happened. Um, but I also I feel like these games that are like uh, the sort of Ditto, that are sort of repeatable, that have uh, punctuation, if you know what I mean, sort of moments you can set it down and pick it back up. Because I, I, I want to be able to play on the go in scenarios where I'm not able to sit down for many hour stretches. So there's a few like that. Dead Cells is a great one. And I think Dead Cells is coming to Switch. I, I believe it is, yeah. So that's one I really want to have on Switch. Uh, also, Children of Morta, which isn't out yet, I don't think. But when it does, I want it to come to Switch. Uh, these are games... Uh, Hand of Fate 2 would be great on on Switch. Um, these These... These games that are sort of grindy, that sort of feel like I can just play them at my leisure and not have to, maybe not have to pay 100% attention to them because I can maybe be doing other things or doing it intermittent with other things. Those are the kind of games that I want to come to Switch. A lot of these, I love the fact that there's a, it's home to a lot of independent games because I think a lot of them work well like that. Um, so I'm hoping that yeah. continues. I could do like a Patapon or like N plus or yeah. you know like Ollie Ollie or something. I think, I think N, N plus, plus is coming. I think N plus literally like this week or next is yeah. yeah. Oh, it's yeah. very exciting. Very exciting. Anyway, uh, great questions, everybody. Thank you for sending them again. You can send a DLC feedback at gmail.com. But that's going to do. Wanna- Reach Marissa. You can email her at sunshine is not the best at yahoo.excite.com. <laughs> that'd be a weird slash backslash come at me, bro. That'd be a, yeah, I was going to say that'd be a weird email for her to register. Um, anyway. uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Got it right. Yeah. <laughs> we are going to have a parting gift for you. So stick around for that. And I have bonus content, as I mentioned, with a designer of uh, one of the designers from the sort of ditto coming up uh, after the end of the show. But, Marissa Roberto, thank you so much for being here. You're the best. Oh, my gosh. This is such a treat for me. Thank you so much for having me on. I can't believe it took us this long, but you are a delight, as I said at the beginning, and you have proved it to be true. Can you uh, share with everybody the best place to keep up with you online and where they can see all your wonderful work? 
Oh, yes. I'm um, heavy on the Instagrams. Uh, so I'm just mrob29. So mrob. I like baseball. So Marissa Roberta, mrob29. Um, there, I'm always posting to my stories there and at Heads Up Daily. I manage all the social accounts for the shows that I'm on too. So Heads Up Daily TV. And, um, I also, uh, manage an esports company and I, I host for their events too. So that's Northern Arena. So I'm at, it's northern.arena on Instagram and Northern Arena on Twitter. And on Twitter, I'm Marissa Roberto. Um, just, I usually am there. I'm all these places every day and I usually post everything I'm doing there. So that's where you can find me. Fantastic. Christian Spicer, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Um, St. Jude, help me raise money for St. Jude. Help kids uh, fight and beat cancer. On this week's ALTMM, I kind of run through a list of exact ways in which your money is used and spent and how even $3 goes a long way and helps a kid um, have a mask because when you're going under radiation and getting chemo, your immune system is weakened and you know, you'll have a sanitation mask so that you can engage more in public and not have to be worrying about a uh, common cold or flu knocking you down or being more serious than it is for anyone else. How $10 helps get, provide games for people in the hospital to play and how St. Jude has long supported video games in terms of bringing families together and, and recognizing the, the care and the joy they bring. So I would love it if you would help me raise money for St. Jude. You can find a link on my website, christianspicer.com, or it's also pinned on top of my Twitter account, just at Spicer, 100% of the money you donate goes to St. Jude. This isn't like, and the processing fee is a third, and then give it to me, and then I'll transfer it. It all goes there. It's all tax deductible, and I'm streaming. You can follow those on Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer, and then all the stuff, the milestones and stuff like that, I'll do at the end of the month. We'll see where we are. I'm already committed to eating four jars of baby food, dyeing my hair pink or purple. I, I hope I shave my head. We'll see. And uh, I would love, I would love your support in that. I think what we'll do, Christian, is that uh, we'll have either way. It'll be St. Jude's, the hundred bucks in our wager, and it'll either be you giving an extra hundred or me giving an extra hundred, based on which of our teams goes to the finals. And uh, so, but we'll just stick it with with St. Jude's either way. But then also, one of us will have to eat crow publicly on the show. And uh, say we'll we'll write out a script that the, that the the loser will have to say publicly that is uh, sufficiently embarrassing. Awesome, I love that. Yeah, sounds good. Um, is that anything else you want to plug? Uh, I do a parenting podcast called Department of Parenting. You can find it at departmentofparenting.com. And then I have two stand up albums out: We're All Gonna Die and Moment in Time. And then <laughs> I did another, uh, I'm gonna, maybe, maybe I'll stick to one every two years. This new hour is coming together. It's coming together. So I'm excited. Right on. Congrats. Um, I have several other podcasts for you to check out, including the slash filmcast where we talk about movies and TV shows. You can find that at slash filmcast.com and, uh, the, we have concerns podcast, which is a comedy science show that I do three times a week, only 20 minute episodes, really easily digestible. And uh, they'll give you something to think about and something to laugh about all in 20 minutes. I bet I bet you'll dig it. Check it out at wehaveconcerns.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada with two N's and one T. All right, guys, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. Marissa, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? 
Uh, I do. One of them is get into esports if you haven't yet. It's uh, really going places. Yeah. <laughs> you should get into it. Um, I mean, I, I'm hosting a Rocket League tournament this coming weekend too. It's oh, just kicking yes. off. So, so excited about that. Um, yes, you can, it's for Northern Arena. So you can follow me there for that. But I do want to say that, um, sadly, Will Forte just oh. announced that his show, um, is going to be not getting a fifth season. Did you guys, the, do you guys see this? The I'm on Earth? crushed, especially because this last season ended with a cliffhanger. I'm I'm really upset about it. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that if we can all collectively just like rewatch seasons or stream them, that um you know like Netflix or or whoever it is that's going to that could give them money will will actually kind of come in and save the day, just like. Um, you know, Brooklyn Nine Nine was just rescued. Yeah. You know, like a day later, maybe uh, Last Man on Earth can can have that happen as well. I just love it so much. I love living in that world. Me um, too. It's so it's, it's just it, such a good show. It's wonderful. It's heartwarming. These people actually care about each other and like each other, and the the humor doesn't come from ripping people down. It comes from love and and quirkiness, and it's it's just such a great show. There's nothing better than Pilbasian, honestly. Like she's the best. <laughs> no, she's so good. I mean, everybody. I love. I love everybody on that show. Um, so positive. So watch Last Man on Earth if you haven't yet. Yeah, let's all save it. Let's all save Last Man on Earth. Christian, how about you? you got a parting gift? Yeah, with Mother's Day just in the rear view, I think you know. Hopefully, a lot of people called their moms or, or reached out, and uh, this is inspired by that. Where it's call your friend or loved one or family member that you haven't talked to in a while, and you might think, "Oh yeah, um, Jessica's a really good friend of mine." I just talked to. It's been three years since I've talked to her. Like, take that. We're all in the liking Facebook post or faving things or texting or whatever, but I think there's something I'm old. <laughs> there's something to be said about a phone call to a friend that isn't asking for a favor. It's not, Hey, Marissa, what's up? Anyway, I see you're at this E3 party and <laughs> I'm outside. So if you, could, uh, <laughs> right. if you could get me in, um, but just calling just to say hi, check in, call a friend, a loved one with that, without an agenda other than to check in and share that human interaction with someone. Very cool. We do have a listener-suggested parting gift. This comes from Daniel from Seoul, Korea. Daniel says, my parting gift is Janelle Monae's Dirty Computer Emotion Picture based on her latest album by the same name. It's a 45-minute movie starring herself and Tessa Thompson and is based on, uh, in, a, in a future where people who do not conform to societal norms undergo memory erasure and reprogramming. Monet plays a woman whose pansexuality and general differentness set her up as a target for erasure. The movie and accompanying music from her album serve as a vehicle for Monet to share a message of tolerance and positive self-image. Anyone who has ever experienced society's scorn and intolerance on any scale will find the movie and album powerfully moving. And her music is also fantastic in its own right, heavily inspired by Prince, and it shows. Ooh. Great listen. The full movie can be viewed on YouTube. Thank you, Daniel. I actually uh, watched this because of your email, Daniel, and I got to say, pretty awesome. I definitely dig the music, and it's a really, really cool, interesting uh, experiment that she did with this kind of interweaving of her music videos into a overall narrative. Really cool. Uh, Janelle Monae's Dirty Computer Emotion Picture based on her album uh, available on YouTube. If you want to send in your uh, own Parting gift, dlcfeedback at gmail.com is the email you use. My parting gift uh, is a show on HBO called Barry, um, which I have been enjoying. I enjoy it particularly because 
uh, as a, somebody that moved to Los Angeles uh, to become an actor and took lots of acting classes, this is a show about a, a hitman, a hardened hitman who comes to LA to perform a hit. And then uh, the person who he has to murder in, in the hit uh, is taking an acting class. So he takes the acting class and then gets the acting bug. And it's a very dark comedy, but it is uh, it is pretty much it pretty much skewers acting classes and acting and sort of self indulgence uh, in, in all its varieties. Uh, and it's uh, emotional and interesting and, and pretty darn good show. I really like it. Barry on HBO. All right, that's it for this episode. Be sure to stick around for bonus content coming up. I have that interview coming at you, so stick around for that. But Thank you again to uh, Marissa Roberto and uh, Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, uh, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for the cool bumpers that you hear. Thank you to all of you who listen to the show. We couldn't do it without you. We appreciate you. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. I'm very pleased to be joined now by Sam Robinson. He is the level designer and sound designer on Swords of Ditto, uh, which is a game I have been enjoying quite a bit in the the last week or so. Uh, welcome to the show, Sam. Oh, thank you for having me. Lovely to be here. Uh, I I really have been enjoying Swords of Ditto. Uh, I think the game looks really – it's very charming, has a very crisp, clean look and feel. Uh, it seems to be very clearly uh, inspired by the original Legend of Zelda in a lot of ways. Is that is that accurate? Uh, yes, amongst uh, other things. But yeah, uh, mainly those old uh, Japanese action RPG games, yeah. Yeah, uh, but it certainly has a lot of really fresh, interesting ideas. Uh, and, and it really comes a, comes across as a... A kind of a new thing. Uh, uh, what if you know? What if Zelda was a roguelike, but but did it in a very interesting way? Can you tell me about um, the road to to uh, what the idea of sort of Ditto was? Well, we were looking at uh, what a lot of people were playing, and we were just kind of amazed by how big roguelikes were taking off, and uh, how many people were buying them, and how long people were then playing them. Like they just played them over and over and over again, and we liked the idea of. Uh, presenting someone with that kind of challenge but mixing it up and bringing in a bit of old school uh action rpging yeah we wanted we wanted to freshen it up because we thought a lot of um a lot of roguelikes were kind of low uh, i don't know what's the what's the polite way of saying it uh low challenge perhaps no no what definitely weren't low challenge but they weren't as polished as we'd liked or ah. um, aesthetically pleasing as we'd hoped as well we were kind of, yeah. we were kind of amazed by how low res they were you know? right yeah yeah you see a lot of them in that sort of throwback 8-bit 16-bit style yeah and and your game it really i love the look it, it is so charming so well animated it feels uh you know it's got a little saturday morning cartoon kind of feel but it's, mm. it's so crisp and bright and and really really charming yeah i think we li- like the idea uh we liked it in the old Zelda games that there was a lot of character in those 2D games. Uh, and I feel like a lot of characters lost in 3D games, not the Zelda, not the new Zeldas particularly because they're full of character. But um, yeah, we wanted to, we wanted to be very gestural. We wanted everything to be alive. We wanted the world to feel like a character. So that's mm-hmm. why we went with this kind of TV animation look. Yeah. We used a TV, yeah. an- a TV animator actually did all the animation as well. 
Oh, is that so? Yeah, yeah he you came can definitely TV. tell. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, and so it, I think the, there are a lot of really interesting ideas in the game, but I think central to them is this concept that you're sort of in this countdown to the final battle uh, all the time. Yeah, you are uh, every time you start a new character, every time the roguelike elements kick in and you're you're starting a new journey uh, and leveling up, um, you are headed toward this showdown with the big bad guy mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a ticking clock and you have to kind of figure out how you're going to spend that time. Tell me about that concept and how you came to it and how it was iterated on. So the, well, the countdown specifically, it's, uh, I mean, we, 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 when we made the game, we did, didn't originally have the countdown and we noticed that players in testing were kind of just meandering around doing what they wanted and they were never working towards the final goal of uh, taking down Mormo. Yeah. So that's, it was put there to make players get a little bit of a, you know, give them sweaty palms when, uh, <laughs> the t- right. as it counts down because it was too, ca- it was too casual and it was too leisurely. And it wasn't challenging enough. So that's where that came from. Um, and it's kind of working, I think. Uh, maybe it was a little... I mean, we've extended the time limit now because it's too harsh at the, to start with. Yeah. But uh, that's where it came from. Um, it's really not that... In, <laughs> it's not that oh, exciting. Oh, I think it is. I think it is exciting. I mean, I think it's a really interesting idea. I think that... The, the, that force, that showdown that's ever looming and the feeling of, of how I'm going to use my, you know, my in-game days, uh, on, on that journey. And, and then you kind of get to the point where you can extend that time and do certain things. I, I found that all very, very interesting. I mean, um, it, was, it was, it was difficult because, because you're fusing two genres together. Like you're fusing this kind of action RPG genre with the roguelite genre. Right. And it's, it's hard for players to know exactly what kind of game they're playing. So when it when it didn't have the time limit, it kind of felt just like an, an action RPG where you just right. whatever you wanted. So yeah, we need, we wanted to hurry the player up and get them on the right path, I guess. So that's kind of what the solution was. Yeah, it's something we we may uh, remix or uh, balance better. Yeah, updates, well, it's interesting yeah. because I think the game is is strong enough to stand as just an action RPG. Uh, I mean, it, it feels like you could just play it as one character and and progress along that path. And there's enough interesting stuff and secrets and cool stuff to uncover that it would it would work that way. And, and I think that the twist of you know playing new characters every time and they're randomly generated and can be all kinds of different looks and feels. Um, it adds an interesting twist, but I don't think it, you know, it felt essential to making the game compelling. I just think it's an interesting uh, thing on, on layered on top of what is already a, a pretty fun, interesting game. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it was, we, we, as we make these things, we just kind of add things and then see how that could react with something else. So we already had the day night system in place. Right. Uh, and originally you couldn't go in shops and things at nighttime because it was mm-hmm. trying to be realistic or something, but it became kind of annoying that you couldn't go into shops at nighttime. So we fixed <laughs> right. that. So then you, you're left with a day night system and it's like, well, how can we use this? And it's like, well, we could actually, put in a day 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 night kind of countdown so mm, that's yeah, cool it just worked uh, i would love to talk a little bit about your s- specific role of 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 developing the levels in the game um how how did you uh think about 
developing the the dungeons and the the levels that you were designing from uh, a, a goal perspective? I mean, how, how did what was your thought process in developing the levels? It was a nightmare, I can tell you. It was uh, <laughs> really, yeah. I mean, um, the thought process was we want to make a procedurally generated game. It doesn't look procedurally generated. We want it to look kind of human and handcrafted. So that was the major challenge to overcome. Like, how do we actually do that? Because it basically involves creating a lot of levels um, in in a kind of patchwork kind of way. Like you create a little bit of a dungeon, like maybe the entrances, but you just create all the entrances and then those entrances can be flipped out with other ones. So you're, you're designing lots of little handcrafted bespoke little areas and then stitching them all together. And that's how the whole overworld is made it's just made of loads of little levels inside other levels if that makes sense it's um it's like level inception <laughs> that's uh, awesome yeah and it, got, it, get, it can become overwhelming like there's just lots of spreadsheets to keep track of lots of uh level files to keep track of um yeah well it, it, you've you've succeeded in the, in the sense that i've certainly played a, a number of procedurally generated games and they often do feel procedurally generated and yeah. not necessarily a, a bad thing, but your game does not, it really does not. And it's actually, it takes a, a couple of hours of playing it for you to even realize how much variety is there after you, you know, die a few times. And oh, that's good start. Yeah, it really, I, I'm, I'm being honest. It is, um, it's really well done in that way that you go, Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's so much here. And then as you sort of um, explore farther out in, into the map, it, it's remarkable how much is there and yet changing every time. Well, it was, it was thanks to the tools, you know, like uh, Bids makes all the tools. He's the director, Jonathan Biddle. He makes all the tools for me. And it's like the, the tools are part of the game. Like when I'm running the development version of the game, I can just press F1 at any time and it will take the level that's running and it will just go into editor mode basically. And I can start moving the houses around, moving the trees around, moving everything around. Um, and it's all, it's because of the tools that are made for me that I can do it so quickly. And that's something that we did on previous games as well. We, we did uh, Stealth Inc. 1 and 2 before, and the tools we made for that allowed us to create huge games in a, or a huge amount of levels in a, a short amount of time. Yeah. So um, it's all thanks to the tools, really. That's, that's, that's the main thing. We, we make the tools to streamline the, content creation yeah that's great and i should say uh you are uh with one bit beyond is the name of yes. your, your developer that you uh made the game and uh i'm curious how many people you are it's uh it's between five and eight like we have uh well don't want to miss anyone off here on <laughs> <laughs> that before it's embarrassing but it's, yeah it's basically five core people uh wow. maybe well, maybe six including the programmer that came on at the end Right. But, uh, yeah, we have a we have the director who's bids. He is also the programmer and the game designer. Uh, then there's me who does the level design and the sound design. Then there's Dave who does all the art, and then there's Alex who then animates all the art. Um, there's also a fr we had some freelance artists, uh, Jay Cummins, and he did some of the dungeons. Uh, Juju's another programmer. We've awesome. got, we got a freelance writer in to do the writing and a freelance uh, UI designer to do the UI at one point. But they were kind of not on for the whole thing. So, But yeah, it was a so, small team. It was a small team. Yeah, yeah. And I'm fascinated by by that process. Um, and how long was the Swords of Ditto in production? How long were you guys making uh, this? Well, three years. 
Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I, I'm just, I'm so curious at a, a game of this, this scale, which is, you know, at a, a very reasonable price point. I think it's $20 on Steam and it's also available on PlayStation 4. And uh, you guys, you know, eight people or so making it. What are, what are the realities of making a game uh, with a small team in, in such a crowded marketplace? Oh, a dream. I'll tell you, it was an absolute dream. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, because people say that it's crowded, but it's, I'm not sure if it is that crowded, like with really good games. Like there's a lot, a lot, a lot of games, mm. but they're not all brilliant. You know, there's lots of clones. There's lots of games that aren't really doing anything new. Right. For sure. Um, so no, it felt, uh, no, it felt, it just felt like we had a, a good team as well. Like from the beginning, we, everyone on the team was a bit of a, we felt like they were power players and what they do. We knew what their strengths were. There were people that we generally worked before with before, um, except for the animator, I guess. But, uh, yeah, we knew their strengths and, it, and it's nice working in a small team because you can see what everyone's doing all the time. No one can like hide away on Reddit all day, you know, or uh, <laughs> right, right. just do nothing. And if they do nothing, you can tell that they've done nothing. Um, so that's yeah. nice. Uh, and because you can see what everyone's doing, I mean, me and Bids work long hours. So I don't have a wife or a girlfriend or a kid or any responsibility in my life. So I could work as, you know, as late as I liked. Um, and when you're working late and you're doing lots of things, and then bids is working late and doing lots of things. And the artist wants to do lots of things. It's kind of, uh, inspires everyone to, yeah. you, cause you want to do justice, you know, like to their work, like Dave does all this artwork and then Alex does all this animation. Then I really want to do them justice by making the best levels I can out of their work and also putting the best sounds on their work as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not pulling smoke to, in saying that it, it, it really feels like a game that came from a lot of love you know there, there's the the art is so charming the writing is really funny and fun it seems like a game you guys really wanted to make and um it it, it feels you can feel it when you play it you know oh, that's nice thanks man yeah you, uh you, yeah you just want to get behind you just want to celebrate everyone's work really that's yeah uh, that's what it was it was just a lot of it was a lot of fun i'll tell you so did you did you start as in more of the sort of level design area or in the sound design area or were you always a multi I I come from film and advertising and TV. So hmm. I came from there in 2009. Then if you remember the recession. Sure. We had, a, we had <laughs> it was global. It's crazy. <laughs> right. Uh so we had a recession in 2009. So that, uh, amongst a lot of disastrous things that happened in 2009, I quit that industry and I just, I just always made games as a hobby. So, um, I found, uh, Curve Studios, which was what, uh, Jonathan Biddle was design director of at the time. And I went in there and they were, they were making, I don't know if you remember buzz quiz games. They were making some buzz quiz games. Hmm. Do you remember those with the buzzers? No. And oh, like, like literally, a, uh, like a game show, but as yeah, a video. Yeah, it's like a game yeah. show video game. So there's loads of videos and stuff uh, that needed to be processed for this game. So uh, my background, I just knew all about Codex. And this was in the days when we still had PAL and NTSC and mm. all those right. horrible formats. Right. So I converted all, basically, I had all this um, 
<laughs> what was the question? I've totally gone off on a tangent here. Well, I was and just that, asking about you know, your, your your how you started. You know, you have such disparate roles on the you know sound design and level design feel you know pretty uh, disparate. And uh, I'm yeah. wondering you know where you, where you started or if, if that just you just inherited those roles. Let me answer this more concisely. I was doing we did we we did a game called Stealth Bastard, uh, me and Bids, and it needed like twenty sound effects at the time. And I did I did a lot of the levels. But he was just like, do you want to do the sounds? And I was like, yeah, sure. Because it was just a cheap free thing we were doing. So I did the sounds for that. And then it, it was such a big hit that then we made Stealth Bastard Deluxe. <laughs> and it was like, oh, do you want to do the rest of the sounds for this? Like maybe 80 sounds. It's like, yeah, I might as well just finish off what I started. And then it got ported to PS, like to PlayStation, to Stealth Inc. 1. And it was like, do you want to do more sounds? So I just fill it out, like polish it off. And it's like, okay. And then we did <laughs> Stealth Inc. 2 for Wii U. And they were just like, do you want to do... And, and now the you're the sound designer. <laughs> they were just like, wow, I've done the sound design for like four games. Like, all yeah. of a so when we started this one, it was like, do you want to do this again? And I foolishly said yes. And I had no idea how... I don't think any of us knew the scope of what I was taking on because it, it it's like 1,500 sound effects in the end, um, which is apparently way like double... A, what a lot of indie games do, at least I think. Wow! Yeah. So maybe I went too far, but uh, <laughs> but no, it's very rich. I mean, I really wanted to create a very rich soundscape. Like um, every area you go to, like you go to the graveyard, and it's got every, every every time of day. So dawn, day, dusk, and night, they all have their own ambient loop. So you go to the graveyard; it's got a dawn, day, dusk, and loop right. for each time of day, and then it's also got dark world variation. So as it gets darker, it starts mixing with like a darker ambience and then every area has its own ambience so the beaches the palace the meadows in general so yeah i wanted to yeah i wanted to create a real kind of sense of place you know that's really cool man that and you're basically self-taught in that in that field is that accurate uh yeah i mean i i feel like i've absorbed a lot through osmosis like from being in (laughs) film and tv and advertising just seeing what was going on there i was also the music director on Stealth Inc. 1 2 because uh, our, our animator back there, he did the music. So, and he would only do the music if I was like his kind of muse. <laughs> but so I also, I feel like I picked up a load of uh, audio skills from that guy. Yeah. yeah. Long, yeah. Well, the game is, is great. I really, really like it a lot. And, um, it certainly feels like a, you know, a, a really polished, uh, large scale project from such a small team. It's really very impressive that you guys pulled it off. Is there, do you have ambition for, for, uh, moving up and doing something with a larger team and, and, and building bigger things? Or are you kind of excited about living in a, in an indie space like this? I'm really looking forward to living in an indie space actually. Yeah. Like yeah. Just, just scaling down the team. Cause what was, what we were doing before is we were at Curve Studios and we were making all of our prototypes in Game Maker. So we'd make Stealth Inc. 2. Stealth Inc. 2 exists in two forms. It exists in the, the game that was released, but it also really exists as a entire Game Maker prototype in 2D. And so what we're doing is we're making these games in 2D as a prototype and then porting them into like a 3D engine with a big team, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it didn't feel very, um, it didn't feel like a well-oiled machine. It didn't feel like we were getting the most out of our time. Cause it's like, why are you making the game twice when you could just make it the once in a really polished and 
yeah. economic way. Yeah. So um, it's been very. I mean, you obviously lose a lot of physical uh, contact, or not physical. You're not, you're not touching people in the studio necessarily, but face to face contact. You're missing that a little bit. That's the only thing. That's the only downside. But other than that, you've got no meetings anymore. You know, you've got all this free time. You can work any time of day. Right. You can get up at four in the morning and just start. Or, you know. Wow, very cool, man. Well, Sam, thank you so much for being with me. This is uh, this has been really interesting, and, and I'm a big fan of your game, and I hope more people check it out. It's Again, it's called The Swords of Ditto, and it's available on PC on Steam and on PlayStation 4. Thank you so much.